0: In 1977, Star Wars, the greatest film ever made, was released to cinemas. It was an instant galactic hit. Five really handsome and funny British men promptly loved the toys from the film and purchased them on the collecting underground. Today, still wanted by the administrators, they survive as collectors of fortune. If you have a problem, if none of the forums can help, and if you can Skype them, maybe you can come on The Vintage Rep- belly.
1: Welcome to the Star Wars Vintage Rebellion Podcast. I'm Stuart Skinner, your host for the show, and this is episode 18, The French Connection. Joining me to take you through the next 13 hours of vintage Star Wars conversation is the usual crew. First up, a man who has perhaps the fastest growing focus collection in the country at present. His love of R5-D4 is expanding by the day. He's also a loose completist and a chunk of hunkiness. It's Dickie Hutchinson. Good evening, Rich. Good evening, guys. Now, Rich, you're a huge fan of the expanded universe, okay, so uh, I came across this little um, teasing question. I want to know whether you know the answer to this, okay? Do you know what Bosk wanted
2: to be from a small baby lizard? He wanted to be a tennis player because I think he had his um, sights set on beating um, Andy Murray in the window. I see, it's
1: interesting, Rich, but it's wrong, I'm afraid. He actually wanted to be a stand-up chameleon. <laughs>
3: very, very poor.
1: Uh, right, next up is a man who has been gloating about rugby for two weeks after his insignificant country beat the mighty England. More importantly, he's a Star Wars completist with an obsession for the TIE fighter pilot. It's Grant Criddle. Good evening, sir. Hey, hey, It's not actually a real World Cup, Grant, because there's no Panini sticker album for it. You haven't really won anything. Next up is our gentle giant with a diverse collection. If it's Leia, Padme or Ray, he'll probably buy it our market enthusiast who tried to pickpocket Yoda this month. I can't believe he could stoop so low. It's Peter Davis. Good evening, Petey Wheelie. Hello, my little fluffy hamster. How are you this month? Poor. I'm very poor this month. Is that because you splashed the cash on a slave lair costume?
3: Indeed. I had to sell the house, but it was worth it. Pete,
1: if you had won that, what would you do first with it when it arrived?
3: (laughs) I would persuade any attractive female to put it on for me. Or you, or just any attractive person in general. And
1: finally, then, our eldest member of the crew. I think that's correct. If it is, oh, looks the oldest. Uh, a Luke x wing focus collector who likes to dress up at every opportunity. Good evening, Jezebel. Good evening, Stu. Good evening, lads. Good <laughs> evening, everyone. Jez, you love a bit of role-playing. Have you dressed up as anyone this month? This month, I have dressed up as Mr Bean. Fair enough, Jez, but have you dressed up as anyone this month? No, just Mr Bean. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I had to keep them guessing, and yeah, I did go to another little fancy dress party. A lot of people similar age to me, you know, having birthdays, and I uh, didn't want to do a Star Wars thing. That would be too obvious, so I went as Mr Bean.
1: Well, Jez, as you're full flow at the minute, you can carry on talking and tell us what you've been purchasing.
2: Actually, can I just stop there for a second? Did you go as Mr Bean, or did you go as a baked bean? Oh, he's, he's... on
3: fire. I'm going to enjoy tonight's episode, <laughs> toying with you. he got the head, head looks it. like
4: a
2: baked
1: bean.
0: Yeah, doesn't? he
3: looks like look a massive bean, isn't he? Jez, acquisitions.
0: Yeah, a bit, bit of a... uh Bit of a string bean month for me this month really. Not not really done anything. I've got a couple of small little oddball bits for my uh, Luke X Wing collection. I've got some uh, a Yamakatsu, some cards from Japan. Just arrived today actually. And let's try and pronounce this with a tongue twister. Maruka Keshi Gumu rubber X Wing and a Takara mini puzzle all arrived today in the post. I was fretting thinking I would have nothing at all, but there we go. That's me.
1: And uh, still no uh, Force Awakens product.
0: No, not yet. But it doesn't mean to say that I'm mm. massively excited about it. I just I haven't found anything in the shops yet which makes me go, "Oh, I really really want that." But bearing in mind I haven't seen any BB8 stuff but there's just nothing in the shops right now that I've seen which just has just got my got my attention.
1: Pete, have you added anything to your growing collection?
3: Well, Stu, I was determined not to spend any money this month because uh, I'm stripping down my business and kind of getting rid of all my old stock. I thought oh, I'm going to be really poor this month because I won't be able to list much stuff, on my account, all this sort of stuff. But then I ended up spending absolute fortune for me on mocks. So, and that's a lot for me. I actually bought four mocks. I've got a, a, a rather sort of yellowy-looking Rack bar, a four LOM, or LOM, if you like that, and uh, then a couple of sort of, like, minory ones, which I've all, already forgotten which ones they are.
5: Just a quick round-robin. Who,
3: who goes with four LOM or four LOM?
5: Grunt? Uh Good question, Uh Four LOM.
3: Yes? Four LOM. Rich? Four LOM. Pete? Oh, always Four LOM, but I had to have my American friends.
1: Yeah, I kind of alternate between the two, but,
3: uh, yeah. But anyway, apart from the mocks... Apart from the mocks, I added to my Slave Layer collection. Uh, you might have seen the pictures on the interweb and the forum of the <laughs> Slave Layer skateboard. And I also got a little tiny micro machine Slave Layer. Uh, a loose one. It's tiny. It's about, oh, it's probably like half a, not even half an inch high. It's your size, Stu. Your a, a Slave size.
1: Layer skateboard?
3: <laughs> little, little thumb skateboards? Oh, the little thumbs one. I thought you meant full size one. Oh, goodness, no. Well, you can get them. You can get them. There's uh, These ones are little thumb skateboards for your desk. But um, they look really nice in the packaging, so they actually look like a sort of like a you know, a normal card kind of figure. There was there's more there's more. I also picked up, along with Rich, uh, which he'll explain his, um, some Lamy cards from somewhere out in the middle of nowhere, I don't know where they're, where they're from, Japan or something. Um and that had a slave layer swinging across the barge with Luke Skywalker on them, so that counts. That counts. That's one of my only vintage items for my slave layer collection. That's one of two items at the moment. Grant, you collect Lammy cards? I'm, I'm taking it there of sheep, Pete. Oh yeah, yeah, sheep, sheep based cards.
5: I have absolutely no idea what they are.
1: Grant, what have you added?
5: Uh, not much, mate. I had a a bit of a Force Awakens bender for a week, but mostly sort of display stuff. I'm a bit priced out the market at the moment, so I uh, bought a big cabinet from Display Sense, which cost an absolute fortune. But yeah, not and much this month.
1: Now this cabinet's big, isn't it? This isn't your t- your standard IKEA cabinet here, is it? What you're talking across size-wise?
5: Oh, it's oh, it's about six foot high by about just under well, just over about one and a half meters across. It's a proper museum cabinet. They sort of, like, specialise in museums and shop fitting, so perfect for a Star Wars museum. What are you planning on filling it with? Oh, it's already full, mate. It's full of mocks already. I couldn't believe it. i have to buy another one now.
2: (laughs) Come on in, Rich. Hit us with what you've been buying. Well, I really haven't bought a lot this month. I've concentrated on paying off everybody who I owed money to on payment plans. And I don't owe anybody any money. Um, If I do owe anybody any money, I've forgotten, so you're going to have to pay them as. Other than modern items, because I have done a bit of a grant and bought loads of modern items, uh, comics, novels and things, I've only got some um, Yamakatsu cards. And I've got two. I've got a sealed pack with R five D four on the top and I've got a loose R five D four as well. But that's it for me. What?
6: That's it.
2: In uh, Grant Grand Lamy cards, they're the I think they're the Japanese tops trading cards. But they're the Japanese versions.
5: Oh the big ones.
2: Yeah, I think they're five by three. Oh, yeah no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Pizza pizza's <laughs> a little smaller, which you'd
1: expect.
5: What about you, Stu,
0: my little e friend?
1: I have literally not picked much up at all. I have arranged a payment plan with something for a bit more expensive, and I want to pay that off before I make any other purchase. All I've actually got this month was uh, the R2-D2 picture frame Sigma, which turned up with three horrendous cracks on it, although it's in one piece. It was protected. It was in a box with a piece of polystyrene on the top about the size of a bar of soap. That was good coming from the States. And... The Yoda Vase, which I've got a bargain on. But that is it for me, so nothing at all. So a quietish month, generally. Still some nice items in there. Now, one thing I was wondering to myself today, which we don't often talk about, is what is everyone's current Holy Grail item? Because I'm sure we all have something that we would love, but we never ever discuss that kind of thing. So, so Grant, what is your Holy Grail in a collection as vast as
5: yours? Mate, so many of them. Probably one of the uh, Luciate stars or... Yeah, probably a cast and crew item of some kind. I don't know, there's tons of stuff, isn't there, let's be honest.
1: You can't pinpoint something.
5: Ah, oh, mate, loads and loads of different things. I tell you what would be really nice is the uh, Burger King Empire Strikes Back American uh, glass display. That thing is a stunning.
0: What about you, Jez? I would say it's the revenge mock-ups, which I'd seen, which had been once owned by Mark Harroway, the guilty one. You know, the handmade mock-up proofs, which just look so crazy as they were c- trying to come up with the the concept, drawing, the artwork for the film. I think they just look absolutely brilliant, complete one-off.
2: Rich, I don't really have any Holy Grails. I suppose probably the inner filament of the DT Vader Saber. That's probably the only thing that I can think of that is going to be quite tough to track down. Everything else I want is achievable. Fair enough. And PD, I
3: kind of have two. Um I have a, a vintage one which is very achievable but I just, I'm such a stingy bugger I won't buy it. Um, which is a 12-back Princess Leia. I don't care of what version, just a 12-back. And then the other one is a modern one which is the Starburst Princess Leia figure on the original trilogy collection card which is really, really ridiculously hard to get hold of and you can't find any. Correct. Oh. Not getting it when I had the chance.
5: Pierre, yeah, I don't remember the Starburst outfit. What part of the film was that?
3: <laughs> Starburst Card. What the hell is a Starburst Card? It was basically um, the Canadians decided to release the original trilogy. Collection figures on this like exclusive Starburst background card, which was exactly the same figure, that exactly the same bubble, just the the background card was slightly different. And the the Princess Leia one or the Slave Leia one it is virtually impossible to find. So it's nothing to do with Opal Fruits. It's nothing to do with Opal Fruits. Yeah, I was
2: I was wondering if it was me to
3: meet your mouth water, <laughs> hey What's, What's your Holy Grails, to Yeah,
1: mine's. I I think mine might be achievable. It would just be getting it across from America, and I would love the Darth Vader Sigma display cabinet thing. Ah, oh. but the weight of it. I I should think it's gonna cost a bit of money to bring it back.
5: Stu, do you know what I thought you were gonna say then? I thought you were gonna say that command centre we we were talking oh, about. I do you know what? <laughs> then I'll be right up well. <laughs> with the Skywalker. Uh... <laughs>
3: that should be your holy
1: grail, Stu. That you should yeah, replace it should with be. that.
3: Well getting scaffold over from
1: America is gonna be even more expensive than that display, isn't it?
3: That'll be fine. Just wait till till Ian uh, moves back from America and he can ship it back with him.
1: Right. So Rich, I believe you have the question to end all questions for this
2: month. I certainly do. And lads in a couple of years' time when we go back to two 2015 and um, remember what it was like everything's going to be measured from this point okay we're going to go 2015 new movie nah anaheim whatever grand change these Darth Maul under views, you know there'll be doubters but this this moment is really the zenith it's all downhill from here <laughs> I'm going to give you some clues. All you've got to do is name the Star Wars figure. Easy? easy. Well, clearly it's not going to be, is it? Well, you can ask for an easy question, and if you want an easy question, I want you to hear. I want you to hear easy, 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 like Big Daddy in the seventies. If you ask for an easy question, you get no points. If you want a hard question, then I want you to say, "Give me a hard one in true Red Dwarf style." And for a hard question, you get zero points. And at any time at all, you can ask for help from your podcast members. And if you do that, you get no points. Okay? Just a word of warning, lads. The hard questions are like a quadratic equation on Viagra, whereas the easy ones are like an Essex girl with a five-pound note. So, who wants to go first? Stuart. Stu. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, well, well Can he do that? Well Come on, sit. Stu. Well done. Well done. Right. So, do you want a hard question or do you want an easy question? Give me a hard one. Oh. You want a hard one? Here are your clues closing? The Hippie Beatles said they were it. Wait there. Hippie Beatles said they were it. Um,
5: oh, I know. I know. <laughs> oh, I know. I know.
2: I got it. Um, right, okay. Moving on. Help us. Yep. Go on, go on.
5: It's Anakin Skywalker.
3: Nope. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, 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 I was going to go with Death Squad Command, though. Nope. Oh, yes. No, I don't know. I was just trying to put extra pressure on him. Oh, okay. okay.
5: Wait there, wait
1: there. Wait there. Wait there. Controversial. They were it. Oh, yeah, they amazing. were... It's got to be Luke Skywalker.
2: Think of a song. song uh, Anakin
5: in the Sky of Diamonds.
2: <laughs> Can I say help? <laughs> the answer is Walrus Man, because the Beatles said, I'm a walrus. I quite like that. Well, they I can't know.
5: nominate Grunt.
2: <laughs> oh, go on then, nominate Grunt. I, I don't
5: know what's going
2: on. Do you want an easy one or a hard one?
5: Oh, I want a hard one.
2: First pronoun, take the rant out of a podcast member and give him two fat ladies. Good morning, Guard. Uh, oh, I know that, that's easy. Was that right? Nope. No.
1: Can what? I guess?
5: Good morning, Guard.
2: 8D8 Go on Stu 8D8. IG88 Well done Stu Okay close enough No he said 88 <laughs> No Did I he? didn't <laughs> about? It. I
3: said IG88 He said
5: 88 I, like
3: I
2: said
1: correct Pete I- I- Pete P- P- Put yourself
2: on mute you- Put yourself on mute You're embarrassing yourself <laughs> The first pronoun Obviously is I Take the rant out of a podcast member That's left with a G from Grant oh, And give good. him two fight ladies IG88 Yeah 1-0 uh,
1: to me
2: I yeah. think he's given no points To get it wrong Yeah no points Who do you know I need next Grant
5: Oh um, Stu <laughs> knew you were going <laughs> to say that. Jazz,
2: jazz, hard or easy, jazz. I need, I need to have it harder, Rich. Right, huge election, but let's have two holidays down the valley.
5: <laughs> what the hell is going on?
2: Oh, that's that's so easy, surely. Oh, come on, Jez. The Huge elections, the biggest clue of that, and we've recently had one. Oh, I've got it. He's run off. I think you muted, Jazz. Jez, come back. <laughs> it wouldn't make a difference
3: if I was <laughs> muted or not. I'm
5: thinking. Oh, I'm
0: so Go on. Go
3: on. Stu, let Pete take it, because he knows it. I have no idea. I was just putting pressure on Jazz.
1: Is it? No, I think I'm going to make a, a real wall of myself here. Is it Chewbacca? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was General Mayor <laughs> Huge election, General. Two holidays, we'll have two holidays in May. And down the valley, Valley's a Dean, General Mayor dean. Right, OK,
1: we, we see Richard's, Richard's mindset. <laughs> 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 they,
3: what, randomly associated? Rich? Uh It's not yep. the first one said this, but give it to me hard. Billy yells two years before Arnie did. Billy yells two years before Arnie
2: did. Yep. So you've got to get the first part from Billy yells. So what did Billy yell?
3: <laughs> Billy yell.
2: <Yow>. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, who's Billy? Ah, exactly. Oh, so dude. now you're thinking. So who who was Billy and what did he yell? I mean, and the he thing did I think of. Two of years before Arnie did.
3: Rebel Commando. Brilliant. Oh,
2: oh. Yes. Brilliant. It was Rebel Commando. Billy oh, yes. Idol. Yeah, so there's your rebel yell, and Commando (laughs) came out two years after Billy Idol's song. I've got it as (laughs) R2-D2. It's close. So Pete's in the lead with no points at the moment. Excellent. Well done, Pete. So we're going to go back to, er, no, Stu, isn't it? Right, Stu. Let me pick one for you. Stop, listen, something is missing. What's the limit? You'll never beat Dez, Chant the Forest. (laughs)
1: It's an Ewok, isn't it? I don't think it is an Ewok, is it?
2: Nope. I
3: think I might have a good guess.
2: Stop, listen, something is missing. What's the limit? You'll never beat Des. Chant the Forest. Your last sentence should, is your biggest clue in there.
3: Yeah.
1: You'll never beat Des. He's probably too young for it. Des O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> Des Walker.
0: Help them out, Jez. Well, it used to be stop, look, listen.
2: You said what's missing, so look. Good. So, uh, Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker, yeah. Stop yeah. listening. So something is missing. The Luke bit was missing. What's the, the limit? List. The sky. You'll never that. beat Des Walker. I chanted the forest. Do you think anyone is still listening to this?
5: I think it's rather clever.
2: Right. Uh, Grant, buzz, buzz, says the Queen, before heading off to bingo, then drill a small hole.
5: Black best guard?
2: No. I got it. Go on, Do you want to go for a storm in need of double no points? B-wing pilot. Brilliant. B-Wing pilot. Buzz, Buzz said the Queen's a B. Heading off to bingo for bingo wings. Drilling a small hole is known as a pilot hole. So well done, Jez. Right, I'm going to have to give Jez a bit more of a tricky one now, won't I? Right, Jez, push an egg to a vowel. My kidneys, brain and liver need to go also. So what do you do when you push an egg? Max Rebo band. <laughs> Pete, you should get this one. Lay and push. Lay. Oh, oh yeah. it's lay, didn't Yeah, or Push an egg, lay, to a vowel is an A. And then your organs, your, your kidneys, your brain, your liver, also need to go to the vowel, so we've got Leah Organa. We'll do one more and then we'll close this off, so which one should I give? I'm going to make one up for you, Rich, just at the end, okay? <laughs> okay. I'm going to one right, Pete, I'm going to give you a fairly easy one, because you've had a pretty tough one. Baldrick's big blue wavy thing meant that the mobile phone network headed to the post office.
7: <laughs> what?!
2: Baldrick's Big Blue Wavy Thing meant that the mobile phone network headed to the post office.
5: Uh... <laughs> One more time, please, Rich.
2: Baldrick's Big Blue Wavy Thing meant that the mobile phone network headed to the post office.
5: I reckon Chris Mann might be able to get this.
3: Yes, he probably would, actually. Yeah. Big Blue Wavy Thing. That's the thing I haven't said it for such a long time. No, nope, stumped. It was C-3-P-O. Big Blue Wavy Thing's a C.
2: Mobile phone network know. is three, headed to the post office, P, or that was the, probably the easiest one out of them, I would have thought. Right, Rich. <laughs> yep. Okay, here's one for you. This is just made up in
1: two seconds, OK? You're going to like this. I just urinated on the ivory on my piano.
2: <laughs> Weak queer.
1: <weir>? Yeah, see?
2: <laughs> what I'll do is I'll put the rest of them up on the forum so that the guy's going to have a laugh trying to figure out the other ones.
1: <laughs> well, Rich, uh, all I'm going to say is... Yikes. I hope the rebel briefing's better. <laughs> <laughs> Should we should we give it a go? Yep. Our Joy Wooden Wonders. Malcolm Tween gets our stamp of approval. A Little Bit of Star Wars Follies, number 10. Hoff Rebel Caught Off Guardian. A Ruby with a Toy. Lost Passion Before Passion.
8: The Rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to orbit the planet.
1: Now, Rich, I believe you managed to speak to Gus Lopez about the sandcrawler wooden pattern.
2: Well, Gus Lopez doesn't do things by halves, does he? When he publishes an article on StarWars.com, you just know it's going to be top draw, but nothing prepared me for the contents of the last one. So I'm delighted to bring you a short interview that I've recorded with Gus, discussing his article in a little more detail. So, Gus, a sandcrawler pattern, what exactly is that?
9: Yes, uh good question, Richard. The, um... So for some of the Kenner toys uh, that were made back in the day, they actually would make patterns out of wood. So I think some collectors are familiar with certain toys, particularly action figures that are sculpted out of wax or other other materials like acetate plastic, uh, but those are more organic things that are kind of used, those techniques where uh, you have you know, kind of curves and organic shapes. But for items that have like straight lines and kind of more standard geometry, using wood and milling at, yeah, out of wood and, and, and attaching pieces of plastic and wood onto, like, which is effectively a wooden sculpture, is the approach taken for those toys. And so for the Jawa Sandcrawler, they made this basically huge wood sculpture at two times the scale of the actual toy. What kind yeah. of
2: guidance would this sculpt have been given in creating this pattern? Would it have been to perhaps follow film stills or, or would there some other kind of guidance?
9: Yeah, they, well, the... the um, I mean, this toy definitely has, for especially those years of Kenner, very early years of of Star Wars toys of Kenner, um, very accurate likeness to the on-screen vehicle. Um, So they definitely used lots of reference from the movie, and, and probably my guess would be blueprints and shots from the movie. You don't know for sure what exact reference they used, but it looks like they had some fairly accurate screen reference for it, because they got... A lot of the angles and detailed patterns on the Sandcrawler model from the film onto the toy. So it, it's a very, very nice likeness of the, to- of, the, of the actual vehicle. You know, compared to say, like a lot of other toys from that era, which were probably, they took a little bit more creative license. The Sancro is a pretty honest rendition of it.
2: Yeah. I mean, regardless of the fact that this is double the size of the toy, there are some incredible complex details on it. Did you manage to speak to the craftsman at all and, or get any sense of pride in this?
9: Yeah, yeah, I mean definitely spoke to the people who worked on it and uh and there was there was an immense uh sense of pride in this. I mean the fact that they saved this for all, over those years uh was a testament to that. The, the, these guys worked on a lot of different patterns for for toys and for Kenner and elsewhere and uh but they knew the Star Wars ones were kind of some of their favorites that that, that they had made. So they they definitely had a lot of pride in doing it. I mean Originally there were a lot of other pattern pieces for like this this particular shop they came from did a bunch of other uh, Star Wars pieces so for example the sandcrawler the bulk of it this base kind of 3D kind of uh, pattern where they've assembled kind of several sides and attached them together to form the basis of the sandcrawler there's some pieces from that that are missing actually some a couple of the faces are 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 lost and then the there's a top hatch in the front, that is a separate pattern piece. So, on a lot of toys, instead of assembling it in three dimensions like the sandcrawler was done, they actually will just do two dimensional, kind of two on two dimensional wood blocks. They will do the, the surface that the you know the, that you'll have for that face of the toy. So, they did that for a couple parts of the sandcrawler. But at one point, there were a lot of other patterns, and so and those were lost years and years ago. And so, there may be more out there. Um, the theory is that. Former employees of the company had run off with these things, so there might be more out there eventually, but I think a lot of them got destroyed as well, is the likely thing. But the great thing with the Sand is almost every piece is still there and intact, so it looks amazing. So I think it's my favorite Kenner piece of, you know, I have a lot of pretty good Kenner pieces, but I think it's probably my number one favorite piece right now. I I can't think of one I, I, I love more than that certainly is excellent, especially with the story that you said about not actually having the Sandcrawler
2: back in the day when you won your paper round.
9: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it I mean, it looks spectacular on display. Like, you know, we have the photos in the StarWars.com article, but seeing it in person, in fact, at some point I should just shoot a video of it, because seeing it in person, it's so amazing, because you just zoom in on any little detail, and it's just the amount of workmanship that went into the look of the Sandcrawler, and it's all, like, handcrafted in wood. It's just like, wow, this is just an awesome piece.
2: Yeah. So what kind of wood would they use for this? Was it just a case of whatever they got lying around or
9: would they just buy some special kind of wood in? Yeah. I'm not an expert on the exact kinds of wood. They use different kinds, I know, but, but, uh, yeah, that's a good question to find out. My understanding is that there's different kinds of wood they use and then they, they, they will sometimes use plastic as well. They'll sometimes put little plastic pieces onto it in addition to wood. Uh, but yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. So are the idea of putting the plastic on is that for adding little bits of detail on that would
2: perhaps be a bit more tricky with the wood?
9: Yeah, yeah, it's like where, where something might be easier just doing plastic, and sometimes what they'll do is they'll do a wood pattern for something and just cast a bunch of plastic replicas of it to just kind of get multiples of one thing. They'll do that sometimes. Uh, the bulk of it is wood, though. The bulk of the sculpture is, is wood.
2: How does one get from this wooden, you're calling it a pattern, to the actual toy? What's the process involved there?
9: Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to, uh, how they take a wax sculpt and get it down. So basically what they do is that eventually what they, they well, in this case, the sand crawler is two times the size of the actual, of, you know, the actual toy. So they at some point have to use a pantograph machine to reduce it to the size of the toy. But but what they yeah what they do is they basically use a pantograph to kind of go over the surface of this basically and reduce it down to well, they'll probably get it down to a hard copy at the scale of the actual toy and then they start to kind of use that hard copy in one to one scale as a tooling master for the toy. So the the sandcrawler toy is made of mold injected plastic. Yep. So um, so so they're they definitely made different kind of different faces of it and stuff were made very similar to the other Star Wars toys. Um, so yeah but I mean they made it at two times the scale for to get the detail you know basically to get an immensely detailed uh, toy but they would they would use a panograph machine to reduce it down to the tooling for the actual toy. Is there any evidence of the pattern
2: being modified or adapted as it was worked on or do you think it was more likely that if they were going to go off in a different direction they would just scrap it and start again?
9: Uh Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a massive amount of time invested in doing something like a pattern like this. And I'm sure there was some iteration on it where they tried a piece and then they pasted it over. So, like, for example, some of the wood detail, it isn't like they just, just crafted on a single block of wood and, and that's how they do it. They'll, they'll, they'll do some things on the original big block of wood, but then they'll add little pieces of wood that they'll attach onto it so that that lets them get some iteration over it. So there is some signs, I mean, there are definitely pieces that are pasted onto it and it's hard to know whether that's planned or whether that was, that was just something like they made a mistake in one area and so they just decided to start from scratch and put a little bit, the extra little piece of wood in there. Do you think that there would have originally been plans to go along with this
2: like um hand drawn designs and things um shown the iterations
9: i I don't think so i think I think the way they work is that in general they were given um they, they have reference they have photos and they have blueprints and so on, and then they assign it to one person to just kind of start start building the whole thing. There might be multiple people involved, but yeah there's it, it basically you know they're just told you know build a toy of, with these specs this size, here's some reference for it. And go for it. And then they, and then there's you know very artistic types that you know that are involved in doing this kind of thing, and, and and who take a lot of pride in their work and want to do a quality job. And of course, Star Wars was already a huge hit by the time they really started to work on the Sandcrawler. And so you know they they just you could tell like put a lot of love into these making these toys. And so uh, so that's kind of you know how that how it went about. But I don't think it was any like kind of scripted plan. I think they gave a lot of you know autonomy to the folks working on on these patterns.
2: Would this supplier have made other early patterns for other Kenner products, such as the Millennium Falcon?
9: Yes. So uh, this vendor was, or actually, was a subcontractor. They they did do work on other Kenner Star Wars toys. So um, and and with this find, uncover, uncovering the sand color pattern, fr- my friend and I did uh, get all those other pieces as well. So we'll we'll be sharing that those stories soon as well. But yeah, look forward to hearing more on that. But but basically, there are other. Kenner toys, not just the action figure line, too, also the diecast line uh, and the the micro line. So there's other there's other toy lines from Kenner that uh, that that you know that were kind of there were patterns for, um, and the, the shop did do a whole bunch of them.
2: Oh, great! I'm just imagining that if um, the Falcon was also done as a as a double scale, it would have been a huge piece of wood.
9: Yeah, the yeah, Falcon was done uh, in in actually the one to one scale.
2: That would make sense, and and the diecast vehicles they would be perhaps four times or even eight times the size.
9: It depends. Yeah, depends on the diecast ones, but most of the diecast ones were done in larger scale as well. Um, Like I have, you can see on the um, Star Wars Collectors Archive, I have a I have a two up hard copy of the Star Destroyer, or as they called Imperial Cruiser. Yep. Um, So that I turned up in the nineties. That that two up. But the wood pattern is the same size as the two-up, so the wood pattern for the Imperial Cruiser toy diecast toy is the same scale because they did it basically two times the scale. And how exciting is it knowing that you've got a a
2: store or a um, a supplier who has some pre-production items and you don't know exactly what they are until you actually get there and view them?
9: Yeah, well, I mean, I did have before going in person, did have you know, did certainly talk to price and photography. And, and saw, saw photos of it, but, and actually this particular deal was negotiated over many, many years. I mean, just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just known about these guys and, and multiple people had tried to reach out to, to this guy and, uh, the main, the main contact point. And, uh, so it was a very like hard negotiated deal. Um, but, you know, we paid like a really, nice amount of money for these things but yeah I mean it, it, it's very cool to uh you know just when you see them in person it's like oh my god these things are amazing I mean they, they I I think the wood patterns for me as Kenner prototype type pieces go the wood patterns are my f- absolute favorite things I have a few other wood patterns actually uh, from Kenner from other sources so before this I have I have a b-wing vehicle pattern one of the b-wing faces um I have a Java's throne room two up pattern from the micro collection, like an unproduced playset from the micro collection. I have a wood pattern to a rebel blast, uh, like rifle blaster uh, storage case, uh, an early version of the, the the one that they ended up selling, but a wood pattern for that, and probably forgetting another one somewhere. Oh yeah, I have a wood pattern for. Um, the, one of the companion droids, uh, so for the, the droids cartoon series, they did these, you know, they had this concept of doing little companion droids, like unposable small droids that would come bundled with the second wave of droids figures. So I have, and of course that never came out as the second wave of figures didn't come out. So for Jessica Mead, they had this like treadmill type droid and I have the, um, wood pattern for that. So I have a few other wood patterns that have come from different sources. But for me, I think the wood patterns are my, my favorite, favorite items. Yeah. We were talking to Chris Fawcett
2: last week about some of the big finds that he's had. I certainly think that a lot of our listeners really enjoyed hearing his tales. So are we going to see any of these on the Stores Collectors Archive blog at
9: all at any point? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so there'll be more on this soon, coming soon. So it's just a matter of, yeah, get some time to kind of work on it and get some good photos and stuff. But yeah, yeah, we'll be, we'll be talking about it soon and uh, sharing some of it. And the, the other patterns are pretty amazing too. So, uh, Sandcrawler to me is, the pinnacle of it but but uh and that's why I kind of saved that for starwars.com because it was that was my first blog entry on starwars.com which I'm going to start doing about every month or so I'm going to do uh, I already kind of gave, submitted them the second one that's coming out and they're going to be basically on different collectibles um all right. yeah. so I'll, each one will focus on like one collectible um not they're not all toy related some will be other kinds of collectibles but The Sandcrawler, I wanted as the first one. I wanted to kind of big news, something people hadn't Mm -hmm. seen before. You know, really post that as as the first entry on StarWars.com, and then so yeah, every month or so we should be seeing more of these surfacing.
2: Well, you've set the bar very, very high with that first article, and I must admit I was surprised to see your name because it's it's, um, you know I do follow those articles quite a lot, and it was the first time I saw one by you, and I was wow, and I, I had a look to go back to see if there were any others, so that was the first one.
9: Yeah, well, I'm gonna tr- I'm seriously gonna try to have each one be you know in that caliber of item though. I mean, that's the goal. Is just pick stuff. You know, it's gonna be a breadth of kind of collectibles to it, but they're really f- focused on heavy hitter pieces that you know that. And I'm gonna try. There'll be some that people have heard about before, but then there're gonna be some that are no one's ever heard about. So, uh but I'm gonna save it for like major, major pieces. Oh, we're really looking forward to that.
2: Um, thanks very much, Gus, for spending time talking to us today. It's absolutely brilliant. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show.
9: Cool. Thanks, Richard. The Moon with the Rebel Base will be in range in 30
2: minutes. Well, I must admit, I don't understand stamp collectors myself, and I've always said, flatly gets you nowhere. But I was just as excited as most of the population when the Royal Mail showcased a new set of stamps designed by renowned artist Malcolm Tween. And I believe Jez may have caught up with Malcolm at some point, so let's head over there now. Malcolm, thanks ever so much for
0: coming along. Thank you very much. Great pleasure to be here. Guys, as you know, I'm delighted to have Malcolm here to talk about the stamps. Mal, please tell me all about it.
8: <laughs> Absolutely. It was uh, very frustrating because I've been working on this for uh, well over a year and uh, I wasn't allowed to tell anyone about it. So, uh, Anaheim, for example, lots of people are asking me, oh, are you working on anything exciting? And it's like, I am, but I can't say anything about it sworn secrecy so it's nice I can actually finally talk about it all now it's all out in the open
0: I think I was one of the guys who said to you oh, what?" I think you it mean? might
8: have been actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of British guys I was talking to so it could well have been you and uh, I remember saying yeah there's something actually I'm working for the UK and it's really quite cool but I can't say about it it's really annoying
0: can you just take us back to the beginning then how did this come about exactly
8: and um, well I was approached by a design company called Interabank who had been working on the stamps and they'd been working on it a couple of months before I got involved and they'd been doing a lot of the packaging design for the actual products themselves and they were already in the process of sketching out the rough layouts for the stamps and working out all the characters combinations and stuff like that uh, to go through and film with Disney. And um, so it's quite a long drawn out process. So when I got involved they'd already done some of the initial designs and then I was brought in to kind of take those and make
0: them into something a bit more polished and final artwork. You're Digital Progression, aren't you? So is this a, a personal project or is this Digital Progression? Um, well, Digital Progression is my company,
8: um, so I'm a partner in Digital Progression. So, uh, but we were working with, obviously, Royal Mail and Bang is
0: another design company. So it's quite a collaborative uh, project yeah. in the end, yeah. To get this, I mean, massive congratulations. You must have been absolutely stoked.
8: Was it? Yeah, it, w- it was It was. um Unexpected. Um, I got a kind of call that was already covert. Could you, are you interested in working on a Star Wars project but we can't tell you what it's about? So until I signed the NDA and stuff, didn't really have a clue what it was. But I think what is fantastic about this is that it's got a really mainstream appeal. A lot of my friends who really love Star Wars because they grew up with films, they're not necessarily going to collect toys or the comics or merchandise. But to them, this is something that, you know, really appeals because they can stick a stormtrooper on on a letter. It's just got this fantastic crossover appeal that I think um, you know a lot of other Star Wars stuff doesn't really have. So uh, it's brilliant, absolutely unique opportunity. I think
0: you're right. It's got that mass appeal. It's it's got the appeal for the Christmas cards, birthday cards, uh, and and everyone gets it. You've got the classic trilogy, and then a, a portion of the new. You did see there's one stamp which has got the Emperor and Anakin. Right. <laughs> yes. nothing, nothing else really from the original.
8: That's, um, uh, yeah. Not my my. Royal Mail really had the final say and all the selection of characters. That's kind of really down to them. They a lot of discussions with uh, Luke's film and Disney. Um, you know, we did other designs of other characters that didn't make the final 12, but I think it's just one of those things that's actually so many characters. Yes. Kind of whittle it down to that final 12 is actually very, very difficult. And uh, I'm, in some ways, I'm glad it, the responsibility wasn't mine to, to make those decisions. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's uh, I'm glad there's that kind of good Good balance, I think overall.
0: Yeah, I mean, to get to get people like Dengar, IG88, and Bosk in as a sub sub picture in the FET one. Um, yes, was that, was, that was the
8: one thing I really really pushed for actually, um, and I think that's a real nod to the sort of hardcore fans. I think hopefully they'll appreciate that. Maybe uh, maybe not so well known to you know the more sort of casual Star Wars fan, but I think for the, the hardcore fans that's that's a really good one, I think.
0: Yeah, I think they were looking at the fact that Lucas and Royal Mal were looking into this and we've got a dozen. 25% of the stamps actually feature Vader in one, in one yes. sense or another. You know, you've got the primary Vader one, then you've got the Vader with the Ben Kenobi with the Obi-Wan and Kenobi duel, and then there was one other wasn't there with Vader. Um, yeah, he's
8: on the Stormtroopers as well. That's right. Yeah. And Luke's on three as well. It was, it's, it's quite difficult to balance up all the little uh, characters on the montages as well because you need them to tell a story. So, it, it's yeah, it was actually just a very long process to get all those sorted and approved and make sure everyone was happy with it. We, we couldn't use ships on the insets because they are going to be on the other stamps, so uh, it was decided to go with all characters on there. And so, it's, yeah, it was actually just quite a long, long process of sort of balancing that and getting, getting the right set together.
0: And as you said, so you, you were doing the, the primary characters, the 12. There are six additional ships, aren't there? three of the original and three of the new ones, part of the package, but not under under yourself. No, no, that
8: was done by another company. Uh, Initially, actually, I was brought in to um, work on the ships. So I actually did some tests for doing the ship stamps, but then I kind of got involved in the character stamps and ended up doing those instead.
0: As soon as I saw them online, I thought, yeah, they are brilliant. Everyone can choose their favourite. I'm sure you may well have your own. (laughs) What what would would
8: be your favourite? I I think that the Vader one works really well, just from a kind of design uh, aspect. And I like the Finn one as well. Right, Um, And it's always nice to be working on the new character stuff when it's all under wraps and top secret. So that's always quite fun.
0: Have you had any tweets or anything from John Boyega or Daisy yet about that? Sadly not. I think I missed the boat, no. I'm sure they'll probably catch up with you at one point. Thank you. I mean, to have your own stamp must be pretty cool.
8: Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's what is fascinating is this is the first time they've had non-British people on the stamp, so that's quite a big deal for the Royal Mail. So, uh, yeah, it's quite a unique uh, set, I think.
0: There's something also quite unique about them, and which I only noticed this morning when I was looking again, is the uh, the font used underneath. Ah, yes. Oh.
8: Tell me Good about. spot, yeah. Well, I, I'd like to take the credit for that, but I can't, unfortunately. And um, because that was already done by the, the guys who were designing the, the, the layouts and stuff. So they came up with the idea and it's a nice little little nudge nudge for the for the fans there I think.
0: Nice and subtle. I just yeah, looked it initially because I was just looking at the images and then I was, I was studying more, I was like, Wow, the font is the same font as the opening scroll. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Yeah, a nice little touch. And there's some other stuff hidden in there actually that
8: I can't talk about yet. But right. it will be revealed at some point which another little Easter egg in there for the fans, so that's
0: quite cool. All right. Now, I mean, I have been studying these and I have been looking at them. The uh, the Kylo Ren one, I I particularly liked, actually, because I think this is the first time as well that the Phasma character, because in all of your stamps, you've got a secondary image, haven't you, bottom right, um, associated with that. It's really interesting which people like, actually. Um. But the Phasma one, this is the first time you see an element of not femininity about it, but it's just the stance. It almost looks like cool chick swag about yeah. below, below the armor. There's just something about the arm and, and the leg. It actually sort of removes some of the masculinity, which the way the phasma stood looks human underneath our, uh, you know, yes. it doesn't ro- look robotic. Where a lot of stormtroopers, when they're just stood up and you see the figures, they look very military, very robotic. But there's a bit of swag about the phasma, which I just love, which I've really, really got and I really, really liked. So, um, yeah, I'm quite a big fan of that one.
8: It's interesting when we're obviously working on this way in advance of most of this stuff becoming public. So all the stamps were completed before the trailer was launched. So, but we don't have a lot of context. We're only privy to certain information. We don't have a lot of context of, um, you know, the characters and, how they relate to each other and all this kind of stuff. So uh, until I actually saw the trailers, then it all comes
0: together and you're kind of like, ah, okay, yeah, I get it. And, and the the Ray one in particular, I think is going to be very popular. I mean, not only the detail, you know, the tiny little freckles on the neck, all that sort of detail, which is just phenomenal in in a postage stamp. But it's the sun on that one. I know that the the Luke and the Ben have got the binary sunset. But the sun at the back of the Ray one, where it's just simmering into the desert in the background, is just is just stunning. It's I just can't believe it. I I don't want them just as stamps. I want the large. You know, the, that, have you got any um Have you got any thoughts as to sort of future future work for these or or yeah? It's,
8: I mean, it's it's all out of my hands really. But I know that uh, Royal Mail uh, in discussions, I think, about maybe things some prints further down the line and stuff like that. But uh, I think uh, stuff. Yeah, all, all in in development at the moment, so fingers crossed, because they were, yeah, the artwork was done to a much larger size, so would be nice to see if they can get used for something a bit bigger later on, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, I think I think people will go absolutely crazy for them, you know, they, there is the, the, the fan base out there, and people just love this sort of stuff. Mal, when you got told that you had this project, did you have any idea straight away that there was going to be, what, 31, 32? How, how many different variations have people got? There are so many things now that people can buy or order.
8: I had absolutely no idea actually no so it's been really interesting to see uh, to see what's available and I think there might be some more kind of limited edition stuff coming up uh, as well at some point in the future so uh, yeah I've been pre-ordering like crazy so, um, yeah, can't wait to see the final thing.
0: Um, I did see online, I think it did say that there were there were some which were going to be released on, on the 18th of December, which seemed quite cool, and obviously there's going to be some possibly some secrets revealed within that. I think there might be.
8: I may not be at liberty to talk about
10: it at the moment.
0: Mal, we are delighted that you've had this, to see your artwork here, just, you know, going around the globe on, on Christmas cards, etc., is just brilliant there's so much which I do want to ask you about the other elements as well so we'll just round off send this back to
2: the boys now and if it's alright we'll have another chat at the end of the show
8: okay fantastic
2: so guys you've just listened to that interview there with Malcolm we've all seen the stamps what do you think of them well you know it's it's no secret you've heard the interview I'm a massive fan
0: of Malcolm's work uh, right from Essen through to Anaheim and now seeing these I want them and not only the stamps, I want them in A4. I just, I just want to have them framed up on my wall like his other artwork. I just love them. They so appeal to my taste.
2: Yes, they are absolutely stunning prints. I'm a little bit disappointed in that there's so many original trilogy stamps uh, and perhaps none no of Force Awakens.
5: I would have liked to have seen the Darth Maul one. Uh, but apart from that, I mean, they're phenomenal. He's a perfect artist to, to do it, isn't he? I mean, his artwork's incredible. Jez, you picked up that print, didn't you?
2: It's the E2 of the, was it the Hoth scene? Yeah, in fact, I've, I've got four
0: of his. There's the Hoth one, which is exit echo bass, uh,
4: bass?
0: <laughs> 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 so, the Hoth one, which is exit echo Base, and uh, that one, that one's fantastic. Primarily whites and blues as you'd expect. Uh, it was the first one which I saw, which was the uh, Recon Patrol, the Endor one, which was the one which is um, from Essen. And then the Anaheim one, the most recent one, which was Desert Sands. But I also, whilst I was there, I picked up the Japanese one, which is the classic Han, Luke and Leia by the Falcon. So um really, really great use of colour. But, yeah, it's a good point. What you said about the um, they've got a lot of the original trilogy, uh, none of the prequels, and then three... Uh, three figures from the new range and the, and the ships half and half. So half original trilogy and, and again, half the new range. I mean, it's, it's really interesting though, bearing in mind that this whole project's been going on for, you know, 12 months or so. How much is, is it, was Malcolm informed or made aware of, of the whole project in the film? So.
5: Yes, there is a, uh, episode three stamp, but that's really the only evidence of the prequels.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because you had the Emperor, didn't you? And bottom left of the Emperor is is Anakin. So, yeah, yeah, yeah fair one, yeah. These stamps, <laughs> as you know, once again, coming out on the 20th of October. I just had a look online earlier on. There are 34 different items you can buy, different presentation packs, ranging from £4 up to £120. So loads of different things for all sorts of collectors, be it framed, be it... Th- it's just stunning. I, th- I think it's perfectly timed and a massive coup for a for a great British artist. Well done.
5: Will well any of you guys been picking it up? I'll be buying a set, yeah. I yeah, might. I think I will as well, mate.
3: I'll be putting all Princess Leia stamps on everything I send out for like a year. Just so you can lick it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you have to lick stamps anymore, Pete. What? <laughs> I think they come
1: on a sticky back thing, don't they? That's no fun.
5: Can we do a what? test? Can we get like a load of stamps, and then Pete has to lick them, and he has to tell us which character's on the other side. Steve, what, what's your favourite, mate? I'm,
1: I'm gonna go with one of the new ones, Kylo Ren.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty good one, isn't it?
1: Rich, have we had,
5: have we had your favourite?
2: Uh, yeah, I think mine's, mine's the one the Stormtroopers, Stormtrooper. it's really good, really good
5: art, that, yep. Jazz, your, your Boba Fett? Yeah, I'd
2: say so.
5: A uh, Pete? Uh, I should put Slayer with the two droids. Yeah, I think I'm gonna to have to go with Luke Skywalker, that's amazing. Death Star approaching, estimated
8: time to firing range, 15
1: minutes. Rich Retro Blasting have released a new video, can you give us the details?
2: Yes, well our friends at Retro Blast have released a new video, and Mark and Melinda have taken a humorous tour through the two different Death Stars as toys. Now what I particularly liked about this is they didn't really go into massive detail about the differences, but they focused on the playability. Guys, who've seen this video, and, and what did you get out of it?
5: It kind of reminded me of the early conversation we had on an early podcast when we all had to choose our favorite one. But uh yeah, I liked it. I think it was, uh, it was good. I think, you know, they're both great playsets though, aren't they? Let's be honest.
2: The art, and I've always said that the Kenner one is my favourite, but when when they went actually through the Palatoy one, going through panel by panel, I had a new appreciation for it, and I've now looked at my um, cardboard playset again, and the detail and the you know the the action shots, the really great great designs, and I didn't realise that one of the doors actually pushed open. So thanks for for showing us that uh, video, guys. I've now learned something new about my um, Palatoy desktop playset.
5: Do you know I, what I do agree with them with though? Is when you have backdrops with paintings of characters on it. So you've got the stormtroopers painted in the background. Playability wise, as a five-year-old, I always had a problem with that because you could never play there without the stormtroopers. Same with the uh, cantina band. you know what I mean?
1: I, yeah, I, I think the stormtroopers though. You just put more action figure stormtroopers in front of it. It's just
5: yeah. But what, what if you want use those ones to talk, don't you? But what if you have you, you don't want any stormtroopers? You see, then you close your eyes.
2: <laughs> well, but what they suggested was you just use a different panel, which I thought was a great idea. Where was, uh, what was the other toy that they compared to do? Was it possibly the command center or something like that? Where they said you've got no choice, the day all the time. But at least on the Depth Star, you could just rotate it ninety degrees and use a different uh, segment of the of the wheel. Death
11: Star will be in five minutes.
2: So one of our national press has done an article
1: on Star Wars collecting. Rich, can you tell us about this Guardian article?
2: Yes, yeah, you So our very own Star Wars Forum UK member, Hoth Rebel, who also goes by Nick Dykes in the real world, was recently interviewed by National Broadsheet at The Guardian to discuss Star Wars collecting. I have to say that the article was particularly well written, um, referencing people like Bounty Hunters, and then in brackets to put eBay Scalpers, which was great, and Alderaan. And although it obviously had its mainstream slant throughout, I don't think it really was that sarcastic, which we've had in many of the other um, newspaper articles that we've had recently. You guys, you've read that? What do
5: you think of the article? Uh, it's nice to see Star Wars being represented, vintage Star Wars being represented so much in the modern media today.
2: Yep, especially something like The Guardian, which is probably, in the past, has just pretty much ignored collecting.
3: Yeah, it's quite a good advert for Vectus. I'm uh, going to bring
2: that up as well, because in there, although I, I don't think they actually mentioned Vectus in the
3: article, did they, Pete? Did yeah. they actually mention them? Yeah, did. It, gets quite, it gets quoted by it. Kathy yep. gets quoted several times. Yep.
2: And they've also stuck in that vinyl record that we've been talking about where it says it has a reserve on for £600. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck to selling that for £600 is all I can say. I think they need as much publicity as they can get on it.
3: Well, I I mean, it, it covers the, you know, I mean, the story really revolves around some of these monstrous sized, uh, auction items that we've obviously covered on the podcast. I mean, that's going to get headlines in any newspaper because, you know, you've, you've got one item that's worth, you know, 20 grand, a piece of cardboard and a bit of plastic on it. Um, that's, that's big news. That really is big news. So, you know, I mean, and, and of course everyone thinks that star, everything Star Wars is now worth an absolute fortune because of articles like this. So, um, as, as we saw today on, on Facebook with, uh, some guy reckoning his Star Wars annual number one, um, in a reasonable condition was worth 85 pounds until, until he was caught out, but, you know, if it's Star Wars, it must be worth money. Yeah, I think Nick was quite annoyed by some
2: of the Facebook slants towards that article because the photograph that they actually published in the article didn't go with the text. So when it was referencing his hundred thousand pound collection, and you had I think you had a photograph of eighteen loose figures, that's the problem that we're getting for these kind of articles. So you now you get numpties on eBay saying, "Oh, I've got a, I've got a loose Boba Fett. The last one sold for eighteen grand, so I'll stick mine up for a few thousand and see what I get."
1: Rebel base, three and closing. A ruby with a toy. I love this uh, Love this topic. Rich, I'll let you uh, take it from here, because it's got nothing to do with a curry.
2: So the US news agency Bloomberg recently grabbed an interview with a former Ken Astor Caswell employee, Mark Boudreaux, who worked for the company designing toys for 40 years, hence the title, a ruby with a toy. Let's listen to this interview now.
11: I've been an ATST driver, a stormtrooper, I've been an indoor rebel. Sometimes we're able to actually put our faces onto Star Wars characters. Back in the day I had a little less gray. I am a toy designer. I love toys. It's more than just a job. I'm probably best known for working on Star Wars. I first started back in 1977, and that's right when we received the Star Wars license. You had this film that everybody kind of passed on. We say, kind of like, oh, for $50 in a handshake, we got the Star Wars license. I kind of gravitated towards the vehicle. I think I had the temperament and the patience to do the vehicle development. My first big major project was the Malayan Falcon, and I'm designing the new vehicles for episode seven. We had to be able to design the turret so that it would hold Chewbacca, but and then also standard sort of six-foot characters. Well, we've got a basic read of the script. Because we haven't seen the film yet, and we don't know all of the little quirks that happened with the Falcon, we kind of went for a lot of what we call off-camera features. They don't really exist in the film. For instance, that turret popping up does not actually exist. Even though it's made up, it wants to be like, oh wow, yeah, that was a feature that's really in the Millennium Falcon. They just never happened to press the button. <laughs> Star Wars is, you know, just kind of in your face gritty, there's hinges, there's piping, there's electrical, mm-hmm. you know, there's vents, you know, all that stuff to make it real. Even though it's a galaxy far, far away, I think Star Wars is real. Uh, yeah, they're fancy spaceships, but there's that certain sort of love for going on adventures. Toys embody all of the fantasy that kids love to engage in. They come out of the film, oh, I just love this film. The toys then allow the kids to bring that fantasy to life every day.
2: Now, guys, you've listened to that interview. Did you notice the nice nod to wooden patterns in there right at the start of the interview? Nope, did not, mate. Ah, well it was there, you had to listen very, very carefully. I've got no idea whatsoever if he does any of the concerts, but if you bump into him in celebration, what would you say to him?
3: Well, someone who's basically shaped all the toys of my childhood or the majority of the the really cool ones then uh, all we can really do is shake the guy's hand because I mean you know the simplicity of things like the Millennium Falcon and Atat and all those sort of things I mean those are classics been reproduced over and over again I mean you think of the Falcon itself it's been reproduced about five times over the last 20 odd years in various forms and there hasn't been that many changes apart from little bits of electronics and you know bits and pieces they've added to it so I mean this guy's got to be up there with uh people who shaped the film, hasn't he? I think one of the things that we've all got
2: to thank this guy for is the the way that he's designed the Falcon so that it was so robust. I mean, very. I haven't seen many of them with cracked holes or broken holes or anything at all. So many of them survived intact despite the abuse that we gave them. Deserves kudos for that, yeah?
1: Oh, without a doubt. And wasn't it the greatest toy as a child? to handle, flying that ship around. 40 years, what a legacy. And without him, and without these people, us lot, we wouldn't be sitting here now, would we? without these tour makers.
5: I'd have to ask him, first of all, please come on the podcast. We'd love to hear your stories. And second of all, what a unique position to be in where he probably knew a lot about Empire, Jedi, The Phantom Menace, Force Awakens, way before those films came out. So what an interesting position to be in.
3: Yeah, you mentioned just there about yeah, these things very have very very, very have cracks on the stuff. Now I can't remember, I mentioned before, but I had some, my younger family members over about two or three months ago, and I gave them an old Malayan Falcon to play with. And these kids were smashing these things around the garden, and th- this little three-year-old was launching it into the air, and it was coming down, all the bits were flying off. But yet it didn't break, and that's uh you know, that's best part of a 35, 40-year-old toy being thrown around the garden by little rugrats. And uh, it's still, <laughs> I've still got it, it's sitting here, it's still, it's in reasonably good condition, nothing's broken, nothing's cracked and that is that is testament to the quality of the design the way it was built you know the production everything as we've just said there many times you work in,
2: in a job but to him this is clearly a hobby and a bit of love for 40 years imagine loving your job for 40 years would you change places with him i'd love to
0: i mean that uh, is just yeah what a what a lucky chap i mean 40 years doing that i mean any other job for 20 years might seem like a millennium uh, but he uh, yeah what a a bit rubbish on it, really. Well, what a what a lucky chap indeed. I I would want to say thanks to him and, and possibly give him a hug even. I was just staring at mine just now whilst you guys were chatting, and yeah, it's still working. Whereas you could buy your kids something now for Christmas, and within eighteen months or so, it stopped working.
2: Obviously, the original Millennium Falcon was an absolute icon, one of the best vehicles that's ever been released. But what did you think of the off-screen features that he talked about, and especially in playability and some of the toys now, where he doesn't feel as though that the toys would actually sell um, because they don't have enough features on them without adding extra things in, like Nerf guns and extra turrets and things?
1: I would have wanted it to have been as close to the film as possible, so no. Unless yeah. in the new movie we're going to have a great big Nerf gun on top of the Falcon. Spoiler! <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be so
0: worried about screen accurate. I, I think I'd be against them sort of putting features on, which clearly weren't there but then again we did end up with some mini rigs and some other stuff which wasn't in the movies anyway but we still collected them you know some of the figures were coming out and it was only recently everyone was like yeah if you pause the movie at this specific second yeah yeah you'll be able to see a man of man you know so that so that didn't bother us as collectors but i just think adding random stuff like a single nerf dart is uh I don't know, just a bit silly really
1: this is adding a toy to a toy isn't it a toy line's already out there so was sticking a My Little Pony on the top.
3: I don't think they're giving kids no, enough That, that credit would be cool. I, awesome. I think it's horrendous, Rich, to be honest. Yeah, I think that, that what they've done to that Falcon, unless it's going to happen in the film, if that's true, I mean, I've, what I've seen is, oh, it's awful. And uh, what what made the Falcon was things like, just a really simple thing, like the, um, the little trap door, yeah, the little smuggler's hatch, things like that, Fuel the imagination of the kids. You don't need massive, great, big turret guns and, and nonsense like that, or sillier sound effects which weren't in the film. You don't need it.
5: I think the success of vintage Star Wars was in its simplicity, and I think that's what they're missing out on today. People are not going to be nostalgic about Nerf guns.
3: Have any guys seen some of the the more recent versions of the of the of the kind of classic shape folk and the one that came out, things like the vintage collection? Because those had some really nice features on the the, the lights that came from the back to look like. That's kind of hyperspace drive. Uh, a different set of movie sounds. I mean, those are brilliant. I don't know why they just didn't re-release that again. To, to, uh, you know, the the modern generation. Because they, they that was a brilliant line. That is better than Nerf Gun.
5: That, that retailed uh, a couple hundred pounds and this
3: Nerf Gun one is pretty cheap. Exactly. It did, Grant. But I mean, I think with technology moving on, you could probably fit a tiny little, little sound button in there now and do it a lot cheaper, but keep, <laughs> keep some sort of shape to it because Oh, I don't know, there's just something wrong about that gun. That, I mean, it, it does various other things, doesn't it? But that gun just looks ridiculous. Unless it happens in oh, the yeah. film, then it looks
0: cool. I mean, yeah, you could have hands saying, this baby's still got a few surprises, and then a massive big ion cannon comes out the top <laughs> and fires it. It's
2: <laughs> not going to happen. That either. would be funny. To Mark war from all of the Vintage Rebellion, thank you very much for some of the best Christmases we've ever had. Rebel Base,
8: one minute and closing.
2: Lost Passion
1: Before Passion Rich, can you give us some kind of context on that headline?
12: It all began in Leicester, way back in 1919. Back then, toys were a sideline for Castle a large plastics factory. The heady days of Palatoy were on the horizon, and one man who played an important part was chief toy designer Bob Breakin. (laughs) Working for Palatoy, what was it like? Oh, it was a great company to work for. When you look back at it in hindsight,
1: you think, well... It was a bit more than a job, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was providing toys
0: for children to, for enjoyment and for play and everything, and now it's providing
12: enjoyment for adults for collecting. Because you're a part of people's history. Yeah, it's part of history, yeah. You can see it around here, can't you? Plastic was a fantastic product for making toys, and with sales strong, the business expanded. It attracted attention from overseas. In 1968, Palatoy, which was based here, was sold to the American food giant General Mills, who already owned other large toy producers. In their 70s, it meant expansion, over 1,000 staff and sales topping 20 million. It was boom time for Toytown, Colville. I'm visiting the old factory with some former employees. It's been 30 years since they've been back. The buildings are the same, obviously things are different, but for me, personally, it's a very strange experience being back here after all that time. It's a huge part of your life, isn't it, this? Yes, it was, yes. And it was probably the most enjoyable part of my life and far and away the most enjoyable job I've ever had. Just like Action Man, many toys made in Colville were manufactured... Under license, which meant Palitoy produced someone else's original idea and then paid for the privilege. You were one of the gentlemen responsible for building the brand in the 70s, weren't you? That's right, yeah, we
0: were, uh, and in the 60s. I mean, Star Wars was a big brand, but it was
1: all controlled from the States. It's, it, we had far more fun to develop
5: things our own, like Girls' World, Striker mainline railways, things that
12: we controlled from beginning to end. These British ideas sold well, but Star Wars outsold everything, and action figures which were originally in the shops one £1.50, now fetch an eye-watering amount amongst collectors. Playtoy, for me, It's the history of the company, the heritage, as well as silly little things like the actual logo. I love that logo. Maybe it's because it's part of my childhood and it's something I look back on. That's what nostalgia is, isn't it? But essentially, we look back on something and go, oh, that was nice. But after the highs came the lows, and by the early 80s, Paletore was producing many of its toy parts in China. It was a cheaper process and unfortunately spelt the beginning of the end. The global toy industry was anything but child's play. It was big business, which meant acquisitions, mergers and company buyouts. With plastics production being sent overseas, operations in Colville were winding down. And by 1982, 450 jobs had been cut. What was it like at the end? sad because a lot of friendships were going to be lost. People had worked here from being very young and in, in a lot of cases, their children worked here with them.
0: When I started, it was it a was great place to work with. When I left, um, it wasn't as good because we were dictated to uh, from the States. So it, it hadn't
2: got the same feel at all. Yeah, so yet again, another video archive from back in the 70s, 80s being shown on national TV. So this time we had a BBC show, which is part of the the Look Back series, the Look Back at the Palatoy Factory at Colville. <laughs> there was lots and lots of things in there that made me cringe and made me wince as a toy collector. But guys, it just goes to show, doesn't it, that it was just a case of ramming it in, pack it, get it shipped out, get it done quickly. Who cares about scratch figures and battered inserts and, you know... Missing screws, just get them out as quick as we could. So hundreds of bazookas being tipped into a bucket. Did you see that bit, guys?
5: Yeah, I was just amazed in the video. There was an old lady there, and she taught me how to put the inserts into an ATAR in under a second. She rammed that thing down.
2: She rammed that thing down, folded its legs, and tucked it, tucked it all under its chin, didn't it? In under a second. It was amazing. In
5: under a second, the way it was gone. But, yeah, to see all those Millennium Falcons on the production line, them drilling all those screws in, the X-Wings, phenomenal. What Where, what, where is that? Is that on BBC iPlayer? Is it rich, just in case anyone yeah. from abroad would want to watch it?
2: It certainly is, but, Grant, I think it's locked by the region zones. I don't think um, those abroad can actually do this video. Um, so if anybody knows, if it's being uploaded to YouTube, send us a message and we'll do some searching myself. For those in the UK, we'll put a link to the BBC iPlayer, so we saw some Jedi mocks being assembled as well. So what date are we looking at for this, guys, do you
5: think? Would it have been 83? No, was... Oh. So
2: 81, 82?
5: No, there's Jedi mocks in there. Yeah,
1: there's been 83, yeah, think... oh, oh, it. Be 83 84, wouldn't
5: it? then, wouldn't it? Yeah. So 83,
2: 84, some Jedi mocks being assembled, and it's great to see how, you know, they put on the press and it went inside and the seal come down. You know, fantastic stuff. So lucky that the stuff's been saved and it's not been um, lost to cutting room floors.
5: Yeah, I really like the interviews with Bob Breakin and John Holmes and there's Kirk who actually worked in the factory at the time and to think that they were like they're like actual legit Santa Clauses. Yeah, amazing to hear their stories and also how they felt about, you know, Kenner coming in and taking over and Paddy's toys totally stopped being about, you know, the dolls and the action men that they were famous for and instead they were you know, being taken over by this mu- massive international corporation, and obviously that brought by the end of a, a British institution with Paddy Toy. But, you know, I didn't know the factory still existed there. I didn't know they had an Action Man convention there as well every year celebrating Paddy Toy, and uh, I, I feel a road trip coming on.
0: You know, I'm going to have to dust off the Falcon again if you think we're doing another road trip, Grant. That sounds perfect to me, just what we need.
5: Would that be amazing, though? The Pally Toy Factory, I mean, it's still there. Let's let's go and have a look at it, like, you know, especially when they have that Action Man convention going on there, because in the background there, there was a lot of really nice Pally Toy, uh, Star Wars stuff as well. I saw some rubber transporters, I saw some, you know, 30 backs. I mean, it'd be amazing.
3: It might be worth going and have a look at the library and seeing what they've got on record and do a search locally with, uh, stories and, in Colville and stuff. I'd, 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 a quick look, track down the library. Apparently they've got all, got lots of stuff in the, at the archives. So if we, if we did, it, it, I know it sounds really boring to do, but might be worth spending a few hours in the library checking out old palatoy related news stories?
5: Well, Dave Tree always speaks highly of Bob Breakin. So we should, we should get him on the show and ask him what it was like back in the day, man.
3: Well, I'm, I'm glad
2: you brought up Bob um, again because his enthusiasm shone all the way through that video, didn't yeah, it? He was so yeah. proud of what he did. And just to put him in uh, into context, Bob Regan was actually the chief toy designer for um, Palatoy. And he worked, I think, did he say 67? He worked from about 1967 right up until the time the factory closed, which um, he oversaw some major projects. And you're right, we had John Holmes there as well. But Les Cook, who worked on the Palatoy branding, he really saw so the writing on the wall, didn't even Star Wars arrived, and you could tell that, and this is where they lost passion before passion comes from, um, you could tell that he'd lost all interest in working for Palatoy once, as as you said they grant the American corporations come over and started telling Palatoy this is what you're doing, this is what you're packing.
5: Do you know what I'd like to see? I would like to see the Paddy Toy Factory open back up again and then going back and making those old toys. That's what I'd really like.
2: I was surprised as well that so much of the factory was still open because I'm sure... A lot of people have said that the, the factory would be bulldozed and be replaced by a nightclub that was called Passion. I know at the end he was getting, you know, a little bit
0: negative about the whole Kenner coming in, but at the end of the day, that was Kenner's absolute right. It wasn't just about Kenner, it wasn't just about them coming in, and let's face it, at the end of the day, I Toy we were making these in the UK on behalf of Kenner, they had the license, so absolutely. Kenner was perfectly within their right to say, we want it like this. We want it like that. You know, so so we were there. we I don't think we can get overly precious about the whole thing. Uh, and at the end of the day, the reason it was closed down wasn't because Kenner would say, do this, do this, do this. We want you to do this. It was all about bottom line. It was all about the profit. And, and the bottom line is, if it's cheaper to do it somewhere else, then they'll do it somewhere else.
2: Looks like you two need help in surfing the internet. My little friend here will show you how. First, join a forum like Star Wars Forum UK. No, that place is full of trolls. A safe place where preserving the hobby is a concern. Join the group, introduce yourself, and read. Don't feed the trolls. If trolls are coming, then step away and let them die out. When there are no trolls near, Then it is safe to proceed. We won't be there when you're online, unless you come over to Star Wars Forum UK to have a good time.
1: Convene all on Endo.
12: I want the moon obliterated and the rebels wiped from the face of the galaxy. Sorry, sir. Actually, we can't. The rebels have won. What what do you mean they won? We have tens of thousands of ships. We have. We control countless worlds. We have millions of troops at our disposal. They just blew up the second Death Star and killed the
1: Emperor. So?
12: So, that means they won. How does that mean they won? They blew up the first Death Star years ago and the fighting continued. But they didn't kill the Emperor. They had to do both. We can't fight back. No, sorry. This is the end of the Empire. Really? You're afraid so. That's it, then. What do we do now? I guess we could go get a massage. Let's do that.
1: Now, my guest this month is a first-generation Star Wars fan. Born in the early 70s, he grew up in France and now resides in Paris. He started collecting in 78 all the way through to 1985 and then eventually returning in 1996 to finish his collection. He released his first book, Meccano to Try Logo, back in 2006 and followed up with Le French Touch in 2013, which was dubbed the definitive book on licensed
6: French Star Wars product.
1: Joining me today then is Stefan Fourcourt. Good afternoon, Stefan.
6: Uh, hi. Thanks for allowing me to, to inviting me to to your podcast, and uh, thanks also for the introduction. I think I think that's a pretty good uh, introduction. So it was all, all correct. Like you, know, yeah, yeah. It looks like you know me. You know me very well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. We're the ones that are grateful for that. Joining me to question Stefan this afternoon is of course the podcast Richard Hutchinson. You are right, Rich.
2: Yeah, I'm evening. Welcome, Stefan. Yeah. Hi, Rich.
1: Now, Stefan, I just mentioned in the intro that your 2013 book, The French Touch, is commonly known for being the definitive book on licensed French product. Yeah. However, you're soon to release a second edition of this book, which you're actually calling the definitive edition. I assume this is like an
6: updated version of the
1: 2013 book?
6: Yeah, so, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's uh, an updated version with uh, something I could, you know, I could... um
1: and hence, some of
6: the layout I was not very satisfied with. And also, there are, uh, 30, the equivalent of 30 additional pages in the various chapters, you know. Mostly, um things that I knew existed, but I couldn't, um, I couldn't place in the first edition, because, uh, you know, again, for the, for the page layout reason, you know, for example, I have two pages already filled, and I only, I only have one item I want to add, so it's not possible, you know, without breaking everything, so, a few items that did, did not make it, did not made it on the on the first edition, and of course there are new items we found out. Uh, some we knew existed but couldn't again um, be placed in the first edition because I didn't have the pictures of the item, and of course also some new items we we discovered since uh, since in, in in the last three years.
1: What's been the most exciting discovery you've made since the book came out? That's going to be in the second edition.
6: So there's, um, of course, uh, some um, some interesting newspapers or magazines. It's only a few ones. If I wanted, I could add a. Maybe 50 pages of magazine, so uh, so there's no point of uh, of seeing them all. There are a few magazines from um, from Star Wars and Strike Strikebacks, and also Return of Jedi with nice stuff inside and, and nice, uh, a nice a nice page layout or uh, something nice to see, and also some interesting uh, stuff to to review inside. I also replaced or upgraded some uh, some pictures of some items, and also we also added uh, some some items which didn't make it in the, in the first uh, book, like the the Return of Jedi. 40, 45 back layer so this was a this is a, a figure we thought existed uh, but we never 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 seen a, a, even a card back we didn't find any carded figures since the return of Jedi was out you know so we, we presume the card existed. But it, it never surfaced. So it, it surfaced in 2014 in a French auction in Jourot auction house, which is the equivalent of the, you know, you could say it's the equivalent of sus Buyer, you know. And so there, there was a load of uh, 50 Return of the Jedi, Jedi Mechano uh, carded figures. Among this lot, there was 3 or 4 carded layers, which was amazing. I didn't buy the layer because uh, I'm not into Return of the Jedi uh, Mechano run. And uh, first, and, and second, it was way too expensive. Most of the guys missed the the the, the Druid auction, so uh, at, the, at that time the cards were at a fair. You could you could even say a cheap price, but by the time they were sold in a, in a, in stores, you know, in a Parisian stores, uh, they found their way uh, in Parisian stores or even on the internet. So they have become you know really really expensive. So this is a major addition in the book. There is also the, the infamous Return of the Jedi mecano three pack, which is the only one known in existence. So this is from a UK collector, actually, and he bought it from a Parisian store more than 10 years ago. So it was definitely something I wanted to to, uh, to, to add to the, the previous edition, but um, we had some time constraint and, and we couldn't make it on time. So I just got, actually, I just got the pictures uh, one week before uh, completing the book. So, you, you know, so it took nearly three years to get the pictures, you see what I mean? <laughs> We've added some, some stuff in, in, many, uh, in many different chapters. We added some nice stuff in the food premiums part of the book. There, there is a very famous offer, which is very nice, but very rare as well. It's the, the Mota, the Mota ice cream uh, offer in 1980. And uh, there's uh, stickers to, to collect, like the, the, the Stickers album. Uh, and there is also a poster you could, you could ask, could order when you from, from the company. Uh, so the poster was already in the first book, but it was in a small site, so I decided to add it um, as a full page so you can really enjoy the, 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 the poster. And also I could find the, the, the stickers, because there are the, with this offer, there was three promotional stickers you could get in stores. So these are very rare stickers as well. And I could, I, I could find them for myself, for my collection in the meantime. And so I made some very nice scans to, to, to add them to the book. There's stuff everywhere, new stuff everywhere. There is also the, for example, the 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 BY logo ATAT. When I wrote the, the, the previous book, uh, we only knew about uh, the BY logo ATAT. We didn't know uh, there was uh, some previous release in France, and, and in fact we dis we discover the ATAT was sold in France first with an imported box from Paletoy with a French notification sticker. Uh, so we just found found that uh, two years ago. And I also realized there was a, a more than three or four different instruction sheets for the, for the at uh, with mechanos, logos, a, a, a true-by-logo uh, instruction, instruction sheet. So it was a, a very nice discovery. So you could say it's minor stuff, but in the end, very uh, nice addition because we, we could really, really find, really surface items uh, which were not yet known. I would say that this kind of book is uh, is very good for collectors because uh, it sets a base for everyone. And then you know when you when you have something which 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 you think is new or you think uh, nobody has it or you think it's rare and you want to check. So you you can see in the book if if it's if it's there and if it's not there, that mostly means that you have found a new variation or or a new item which was which was not referenced before. So that's interesting, I guess.
2: Stéphane, France is a very, very big country and its cities are spread out quite a lot, with lots of farmlands in between. Um, How difficult was it for you to source and find items to put into this book?
6: France is a a big country, but um, I've been searching for that stuff uh, since nearly two decades now, and uh, uh, I've been in touch with also collectors from various uh, uh, regions of France and also uh, former employees. I'm now living, you know, uh, in a different part of France, and I also got in touch with uh, with store owners. You know, you, you can actually still find uh, some some toy shop in France, and uh, you know, when you come into, into when you enter a toy shop in France, and you see that the owner, you know, is like 40 or 50s or even 60s, you know, you 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 at least you you guess in uh, you that, uh, that you know the Star Wars era, you know, so you can start speaking and you know, and see how it was uh, back then, you know. I found out that, uh, and, and it makes sense what I'm going to what, what I'm going to say. I found out that uh, in the areas of France where they are in the sunny areas, you know, like the south of France and the southwest, you know, the Star Wars toys were not very uh, popular. They were popular, but l- much less popular than in Paris and the north of France. But it makes sense because um, there are sunny areas, and you know, it's more um, you know it's more out- outdoor toys, you know, than uh, than than toys to stay at home. Of course, as you know, I collect only the, the toys, the Meccano, Lego toys, and all the stuff related to, the, to, to these toys, you know, the, the catalogs and everything, and also the, the um, some things which are related to the movies, like, like the posters or the press kits. Are you suggesting
2: that Meccano would have targeted Northern France in the later years of Star Wars and left the Southern France alone, so perhaps Northern France had different kind of advertising posters that had different um, shop displays and things like that?
6: No, I don't think they had the different stuff. Uh, but uh, but yes, yeah, there are some regions in France, some areas in France, who had more deliveries, you know, more uh, uh, than than other regions. All the the Paris region and uh, Paris and around was served before the others, and so it was more easy for the for the the, the guys, the, the salesmen living in Paris, and you know, and, and uh, having in charge the Paris and uh, and, and suburban uh, areas, it was more easy to, for them to make good good sales, you know, and uh, then their colleagues who were doing the, the other part of France. Of course, there were Star, there were star Wars toys in, in all the other regions. It was not selling as well. But the store displays were the same everywhere. You've, maybe you've seen in the book, there is no so much, there's not so many uh, store displays than than UK or, or US. It was, uh, uh, I haven't counted, but maybe we have two or three store displays, you know, and that's it, you know. So I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I, I've never seen a... A store display from the Star Wars era, or for the Empire Strikes Back era. It's only uh, at the return of July because I think that they they had finally understood that it was uh, they could they could you know, they could make uh, very high revenue if they decided to produce this kind of stuff.
1: Was the original film quite well received in France originally?
6: I well, was it was different uh, depending on, on the on the magazine you would read. You know, some of the reviews were were quoting the, the movie as a, a fantastic movie, you know. Um, uh, and some of the re- reviewers didn't like it at all because it was uh, maybe uh, uh, too modern or too, uh, too uh, different. It was really a mix uh, between, you know, some people who really liked it and, and some people who really didn't like it. So uh, it was not the same uh, for, the, for the following movies, for The Empire Strikes Back and The Return of Jedi. The reviewers were genera- generally more enthusiastic Was the film dubbed or was it subtitled? Uh, No, it was in French. Uh, Only in Paris where you could see some, you know, some original movies uh, dubbed in French.
2: Stefan, did you collect the magazine P.I.F. Gadget? And if so, what impact did that have on you as a child?
6: Yeah, I was very fond of uh, P.I.F. Gadget, so it was uh, my favourite magazine when I was a child. So each Wednesday uh, morning, uh, you know, I would get my magazine and I I get... uh, I bought the magazine for maybe um, I don't know exactly. I, I still have all the magazines I, I had when I was a child. I guess I started to buy it maybe when I was uh, I don't know maybe something like uh, like five years old or something like this. And uh, I, I stopped to buy it to buy it uh, maybe around uh, 1995, 1986. Just want to
1: return to the book just briefly before we get on your collecting. When you released both um, the Meccano to TriLogo and the French Touch, did you notice an effect on the Meccano market price-wise?
6: Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, because, um, yeah, I guess that um, that's a drawback uh, of doing such a book because uh, uh, I opened the the Meccano uh, and the TriLogo as well because most people didn't know how to look at the TriLogos and the variants and everything. So, uh, yeah, it really opened the, the Mechano and the Trilogos logos, uh, uh, to the eyes of all the collectors, you know, around. And, uh, it, it really also allowed them to, to, many collectors just discovered the stuff. Uh, they, they knew, of course, uh, Meccano, you know, existed, but, uh, they didn't knew, uh, anything special about the j you know, or, or maybe, a uh, Ben Kenobi or a few cards, you know. So, um, it really, yeah, it really triggered the interest, uh, from the collectors in Mechano stuff. Most at that time, when I started to collect trilogos, it wasn't, and, and even until the, the mid 2000, the trilogos were were still a cheap uh, alternative to to Canada. So it was actually pretty cheap, Any Trilogo could would be actually pretty cheap, except maybe for Madin, but uh, but even Madin was uh, very low at that time. It was it, the the making trilogos really affected the market because uh, even people who knew mecano existed, uh, and, but just didn't take care, you know. So they bought the book and they, and, they, and they saw it. Um, it was some nice stuff, and uh, some some collectors uh, started to to have interest in mechanical because they they saw the book and the cool stuff there was. The um that you just touched on there, you know, the
1: trilogue was quite undesirable yes. generally in the late nights. I had no idea why, but were those feelings like common to France as well? Were they unpopular there? Was Kenner still what was collected, or were they always uh, been quite collectible in France?
6: I'm not sure that some, some people look particularly for troy logos. Uh, I mean, in France, uh, uh, I, I, I don't think they they were more popular than 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 Kenner or or than Meccanos or I guess it was uh, it was something people would I, I would collect, you know, like any other card. When I was meeting so, some collectors, you know, ten years or fifteen years ago, I, uh, yeah, I, re- I realized that they had a collection. Most of them had collection of pretty much everything, you know. And it was the case myself also as well uh, from, uh, at the start. So they had, you know, they just collected, you know, the action figures to, uh, to have them on card, whether it was scanner or Trilogos, Logos or, you know, you, you would generally uh, buy what comes, you know, what you find in the stores. And uh, So uh, I don't think the Try Logos were particularly self-after or especially south after in France um, um, before before the book.
2: Was there a quality difference between the Kenner and the Tri-Logo McConnell products that you saw in France?
6: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. If you see uh the the Meccano's, uh, the 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 square card and uh, you, you can really see that the quality is uh is lower than, than Kenner. Uh and even on the on the written of the Jedi. Uh it's it's not it's not the same for the twelve bucks because the twelve bags were were really a uh, top notch quality. Uh you can see the uh, actually the Meccano twelve bucks. Uh, with the Palitoy trade packs as well. Um, so, so the, the, the Mecano, I guess you know that the, uh, that the Mecano, uh, cal- facility, uh, in Calais, in the north of France, was, uh, was controlled by Palitoy, so they would also, they would produce, uh, they would produce the toy for Palitoy and for Mecano as well. They, they would, uh, I, I, don't know if they if they produce all the cars, because I guess there was also a factory in UK, but they produce, uh, uh some Palitoy cars as well. Uh, assembling the cards onto the, the, the bubbles onto the card backs with the figures. So the, the 12 backs were really the same as the palitoy. Uh, in fact, most of the time it's the same bubbles used, uh, for, for the equivalent characters. And, uh, and, the and, uh, and the card is actually very good with a very strong card back and, uh, and vi- vibrant colors and, uh, and a very good seal. So uh, after that they switched to, to the square card form, uh, shape. And, and you can see the seal is very not good. Uh, I found many, many cards where you, where the, the bubble is barely sealed, so that means that you 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 have uh so first you have the cardboard all the collectors who have, who have who actually uh, had uh, a square card figures in in their end or just a card back. you can really see the the card stock is very different so on the back it's very grainy, so you can see you can you can't really see the details of the pictures you can see them, but it's not as good as a card a back back card and the uh, and the uh, and the paper card stock is a bit thinner. It's less uh, sturdy, you know, than the, than Kenner cardbacks, and and then you have the bubble sealed. Bubble sealed uh, is very poor at some point, and uh, and so it, it's very frequent that you see some mechanical carded figures, and the bubble is not sealed uh, all around. So maybe there you, you can see maybe the the middle which isn't sealed, and I I, I even I, I even found some cards when the where the bubble. Is only sealed at two, two or three points, uh, two or three uh, areas of the bubble. And, and the rest of the bubble is totally unsealed. You know? So when, when you see that, it's, it's, not, it's not because the bubble has been opened and, and received, it's just that the, the seal was the report from the start.
2: Stefan, you've mentioned the factory a couple of times now. Um, have you done much investigation into the factory and the production process? And the reason why I'm asking is because more photographs and videos. Of the Palatoy factory, um, and, and they were appearing quite regularly, where we're finding more historical information. So, just wondering, does that information exist for the French factories too?
6: No, no, no. I, I, um, maybe they exists, but uh, I didn't find the information. Uh, and by the time I, I started to to get interest in that kind of thing, you know, uh, by the time I started to get interest in the in the history of the toys, it was too late, you know, to go to the to the factory because it still exists, but. Uh, there's nothing left, you know, it's uh the, they are just processing modern toys and modern mechanos and uh and even in the nineteen eighties it was already too late. It was something you you had to do uh before the nineteen nineties, you know. Going on
1: to your collection then, Stefan, do you have a full run of Trilogos? When I say a full run, I don't mean every variation, I mean a lot of every figure on a card. Yeah, yeah,
6: yeah.
1: How long did that take you to put together? Because there's some toughies in there, uh, isn't there?
6: Yeah, but uh, again, it was a long time ago, so uh, I started to, to collect, uh, so like you said, I started to collect back around 1995, 1990, 1995 1996. So like pretty much, uh, like I started, uh, like we have all started our collection you know catching up with with the stuff and then, and then starting buying carded things you know randomly. You know, each figure I could find I would buy it carded. Uh and I really started to focus on Troy Logos around maybe uh nineteen ninety eight or something like this. Uh nineteen ninety eight, yeah, 1998, 1999. At that time you could find the Troy Logos very easily, uh in France. Uh, I mean uh, uh you did, you didn't have to, to go through to eBay or uh, and, and also if you go to if you went to ebay generally you, you could find cars from french sellers and and so most of the time it was uh it was really the beginning of the internet sales you know so most of, most of the time when when you found uh some uh logos from from french sellers it it was french tro logos it's not like today where if you, you if you find if you buy stuff from a french uh collector you, he probably has buy you know figures himself uh in other countries so so it's no more, uh, no longer uh, French stuff. So at that time, you could find trilogues pretty easily, and uh, and and sometimes you know I would buy figures from eBay from a French guy. We, we would meet in Paris, you know, because uh, he was living in Paris, and uh, and then I, and I would I would ask if he had you know more stuff, and and, and most of the time the guys are had uh, I don't know one, two, three, or four figures, uh, so I would buy them as well, uh, and and generally it was kind of cheap.
2: What are the clues in in order to tell the difference between a French trilogue or and perhaps one that was available in Germany, for example?
6: The French trilogos have generally a thick card back, a thick card stock, and generally, if you if you uh, if you look at the back uh, of the card, uh, on the you know the, the part with all the action figures, uh, it's more orange than yellow. And if you if you place the card back on, on, on a ne- near uh, a light source or daylight. You can actually see the the the, the cardstock. is like the paper is like a grainy. It's not it's not it's not very plain. You know, it's, it's not a plain surface. It's like a grainy or something like this. Uh, sometimes you have, but it's not it's not always the time. But sometimes you have the what we call the UFO style punch, the rounded, you know, with all the, the smaller things are on the left and the right, and then you have the bubble. So you have the uh, generally the bubbles are the one used on the palletories uh, forty-five back. So you have a different size of bubble, a small one, a uh, very small for the small characters, and you have two sizes of medium, and then you have also the double stem bubble. Uh, so uh, so when you when you find this kind of the which is kind of details, it's really a, definitely a, a French car. and and also sometimes, but again, it's not always the case. You can find a black or white sticker in the in the lower right corner, which is say which say in French, made in made in China or Taiwan or. Or macaw, or things like that. There is. A, you can also find some um, some trilogos with l- very large bubbles. Uh, you know, like like the regular Trilogo bubbles, but without any edge. The edges, uh, edge. These bubbles are very large, and there they are also very very thin. And you you actually have to to see to have them in in hand to see what I mean. So they are very very thin, and uh, so these bubbles are also French bubbles, which are used uh, around the end of the line. Uh, Maybe, uh, in, in 84, 85. And the German Trilogos, you can also find them with small bubble, actually. The card, the card back is really different as well. So when you look at the back of the card, it's very light yellow, uh, compared to the regular Trilogos, if you look at a, uh, at a Paliton Trilogo. And uh, also, there is also the, um, the, the, punch, the, the, the punch tab, which is actually quite different because you can see the, the, the top of the punch is as a triangle shape. So it's really like a, a small triangle, and it's not rounded. So it's really the the detail you can you can look out for Parker tri logos. Yeah.
1: Anyone who's looking to collect tri logos should just pick your book up, shouldn't they? Really, because you've got all this information in a lovely, very useful chart in the back. So no excuses, is there?
6: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, one thing which which was uh, very appreciated from from collectors uh, in mechanical tri logo was the rarity chart. I didn't want to include a, a price chart, and, I, and uh, I think it was a good, good choice, a good decision not to do it because it was in 2006, and the price would be totally, uh, you know, uh, uh, outdated. So, uh, but the rarity chart uh, was really something uh, appreciated from collectors because it, it's a rarity chart between the line and themselves. So I'm not comparing trilogos to mechanos because they are totally different in terms of rarity, but. But there is the rarity, so each, each rarity chart has to be taken uh, in, in, the, in in its own line. So there is a chart for the mecano square card, there is a chart for the Little of Jedi, and there is a chart for, for the tri I've
1: got a French touch, and it is an absolute joy of a book, I must admit. I really recommend it. It's um, so informative, and so much stuff in there. made a really, really, really great job of that one. Very, very yeah. impressed with that book.
6: Um, maybe you've seen that uh, the, the the definitive edition as a new cover. I've seen the cover. Yeah, is, is the book out yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can find it actually on on Amazon. So it's all, yeah. Maybe we should have said that. But um, for for the, my previous book, you can you could order them directly from me to get a signed copy uh, and also cheaper price because I was producing them myself. And um, and for the, for the new book, it's um, since it's an update, it's not a whole new book. So I, I guess that uh, not everyone will buy it. So even if there are some good addi- additions, I. I guess that some, some some collectors will not buy uh, just the update. so it's only available on Amazon. So that's why, also, it's it's, uh, it's uh, more expensive than before because you know that it's uh, on-demand printing, and there is a production cost on Amazon. So, but uh, yes, it's already uh, it's already uh, available for order. If you I'll be I, I'll be uh, at Celebration Europe three next year. So if you have a copy, you just uh, you can just bring it to me, and I, I'll be more than happy to sign it. Yeah. And then uh, and, and the new cover, uh, I want to say something about the new cover. Um, the first cover of La French Touch uh, was something, you know, to make it like a serious, if I could say a serious book, with uh, a more an historical book. and uh, So I wanted something very, uh, just a plain cover. Uh, but uh, we realized uh, that with Yann Leroux, which is uh, the, the friend who was doing the covers, we re- realized that some people were still asking you know, on the forums and on Facebook and everywhere, they are still asking for, for try logo. And I've talked with many guys, and generally I say, okay, because some people generally just buy it, but some people also contact me for, uh, or email me or PM me on Facebook, and they ask me if I still have uh, some try logo copies there. And generally I ask, why why, why do you want try logo? Because if you want it only, if you want it, if you want it for the, because it, it's, it's now a collectible book, so okay, just buy it. But if you want it for the for the information, uh, if you want it for the if you're looking for the content for Meccano and trilogo stuff, then you should not buy Me- uh, Meccano to trilogo because it's a nice book, but some information are outdated. When you if you if you're looking for new information, new pictures, uh, uh, unreferenced items, uh, et cetera, on Meccano and Trilogos, now you have to buy La, La French Touch, and and I, and I guess the cover didn't help. Uh, the plain cover didn't help people understand the book was was about products. So that's why that's why we changed the, the cover to make it uh, more attractive with uh, w- and, and with products. You know, the see the small banner on the uh, on the cover um, on, on, on on the on the two sides of the cover, and you see in this banner there is uh, all kind of products. So it's really more vi- uh, visual, and you, you can really see by looking at the cover that what. Uh, that inside you, you, we are speaking about products and merchandise and it's not just an historical book with only text or, you know, I don't know. I guess at some point uh, some collectors thought the French text was, was, was a book with only text or maybe a few pictures or maybe it was just a, a book about marketing uh, and advertising and, and there was nothing about toys, uh, you know. So that's why we, uh, we changed the cover.
2: Where did the illustration come from on the front cover of the book Stefan?
6: so it comes from the um, uh, you know the um, the famous written of the Shedai mecano uh, poster, so it was a giveaway poster and then we, we we of course it's not the the full poster. we edited the poster and we kept the death star and just looking at little uh, at the moment and uh, and so it's uh, uh Jan kept the death star in, in the in the middle so so it's uh, very in the middle of the of the of the the, the whole cover. And uh, then the, you know, we 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 the vehicles around the Death Star. So it's not really a toy-related cover, but you can. But if you know about the toys, you know where where coming the cover right now. Moving on to McConnell
2: then, um, Stefan. Do you have a completed one of McConnell? And what about McConnell collectors today? Is it possible to get, to get a one of those?
6: Um, I'm not sure uh, because it's uh, very difficult to find. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I had. Um, I have a, a nearly complete set of square cards. I'm still missing a few. Players' flowers, uh especially. So I, I have the, the I have the the twelve backs. I have the the, the uh, almost all the the, the square cards. Uh, I have some written Jedi, but uh, uh, maybe you maybe you remember you remind when when when, when we met uh, in Essen. But I started to sell. Some of the Return of the Jedi ones uh, three years ago because uh, I-, I never um, I never actually really intended to to make a, to, to run you know for a set of 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 Meccano stuff including the Jedi stuff because I've done because I'm, I'm in France and sometimes I find stuff and because I'm doing trades you know and everything you know with the years going uh, finally I was adding Return of the Jedi, Jedi cards to my collection and at some at some point I had a I had the whole set of Written of Jedi characters, which, are, which were released, except one. And uh, I had um, a nice uh, assortment, you know, of, uh, of uh, released characters, Star Wars and, and, and Empire Strikes Back released characters on Written of Jedi cards. But it's more stuff I get, uh, you know, with opportunities, you know, buying and trading opportunities uh, uh, since uh, more than 10 years. I decided, I decided not to go for Written of Jedi set because it's very, very too difficult. You have to keep in mind that um, which of the Jedi cards were produced during, during only a very, very short time frame. So they were produced maybe, uh, uh, they were produced early in 1893, but uh, at that time there were only released characters. So Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back characters. But you, you could still find some square cards in the stores back then. It's my opinion, but I guess they, they produced very low numbers of these cards. And, and, and also they produced it only during maybe, uh, I don't know, five or four months because... You had, you had, uh, the, the Return of Jedi movie had been announced. Until October, all the toys which were sold in France with the Return of Jedi logo were only Star Wars and, uh, and, and Empire Strikes Back released toys, which, were, which, had, which had not been uh, released before in France. These new toys were, were sold in Return of Jedi packaging. Uh, all toys, previously, previously released toys and new toys were sold all on Return of Jedi packaging. But it, again, it was only Star Wars and, and Empire Strike Back released uh, toys. Then after you had the real uh written of Jedi toys which were retailed around September or October. So we were we were very late nineteen eighty three. So they produced all this new uh, it, 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 it actually is the first Ritual Jedi wave, if you of speaking, you know, is the equivalent of the of the of the, the first of Jedi wave. So we had all these cards, these fifteen car characters on Ritual Jedi cards. And you have to, to keep in mind that a few months later we were already in nineteen eighty four. And it was the beginning of the go line. So that is to say that all the um, all the, the, Return of the Jedi uh cadet figures, the mechano cadet figures, were produced only during a very, very short time frame. So uh, only a few months for the Star Wars and Release characters and only a few months for the Ritual Jedi characters. Some of them are easy to find, like Medina or Sherpa uh, or Ruiz. Or or uh, maybe not so easy anymore today, but they were produced, maybe look li- looks like they were produced in, in massive numbers. But uh, most of the others are very, very difficult to find. Especially for the 45 bucks, they are even more difficult to find. So uh, I guess today it's uh, impossible to, uh, to 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 assemble a set of Rotten of Jedi cards. And I don't know a collector who has a full set of all the original Jedi cards, including the Star Wars and the Empire Strikeback one.
1: So it's a lot harder to put together a square card run than a trial logo run.
6: I don't know because um, it depends. It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking only for the for the Star Wars square card, I mean not the Empire. Um, I guess it's, it can be it can be done. Uh, some characters are not easy to find because they are rare or, rare or they are very popular. I guess that if you try to find a square card, Luke X Wing, uh, it's nearly impossible to find. But uh, uh, I, I have the I have uh, in my coll- in my collection the only one uh, in very good condition in existence. And and even when I when I wrote Mechanofly logo, it was a very elusive card. I, I, at that time, I knew I knew only one in existence. Uh, since Mechanofly logo, I guess I know about maybe five or four now in existence, but they are all in very. Uh, I wouldn't say bitter condition, but they are all in very in in uh, in damaged condition. So look at like swings, definitely maybe the the harder uh, the to 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 find. And uh, I would say the other one would be vader. It's not because it's more rare. It's not more rare than 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 some others, but of course it's vader. So you know, if you have a vader square card, I, I mean, yeah, you you have the best the best square card, iconic one. So so generally you you you're not seller or you don't want to trade it, you know. So all that to say that. Uh, it can still be done uh, finding them on public sales or either buying them from collectors uh, from cars who are, which are locked in collections. But also there is a one thing you have to consider, you have, uh, you have to, to be prepared to, to pay uh, a lot of money for, for them.
1: Now, something that really did take my fancy whilst reading your the French touchbook was the um, the Amora mustard glasses. I hope I yep. pronounced that right. Now, I'm pretty sure a lot of our listeners are unaware what these are. Could you tell us what these were and how they were sold back in the day? Were these actually full of mustard? Yes,
6: yes. Yeah, so it was a yeah, mustard glasses. So it's very uh, it's a very popular brand here in France. It's, it it has not been done only for stores. That it was a uh, it's something which exists maybe a. Uh, I do not the exact uh, date in mind, but uh, it's something which exists uh, since uh, possibly the sixties or something like this. And so they, uh, Amora so started to to decorate their glasses with. Uh, uh, I, I did the research for my book, but I, ca- I don't recall it. Um, for various characters, I think it was uh, maybe uh, cartoon characters, or and then possibly maybe some football players, but I'm not sure. So yeah, they started to make this this uh, this uh, these glasses with uh, with uh, illustration on on them. And of course with the 80s coming, uh, and all the popular cultures, you know, the, all the, the, ca- the the Japanese animation and, uh, and, uh, all the cartoons, are, you know, around. So, you know, Captain Airlock, uh, Gatchaman and, uh, and, and, and all the stuff before and, uh, and also all the stuff at that time. So it was very popular with kids. So, so, so they started to decorate their, their glasses with the iconic characters and, uh, from the, from, you know, from all the iconic, you know, uh, TV series, you know, for ch- for children, and you know, the, the animated series, some of the movies. So that, that's how they, they they came to produce the the four uh, the Jedi uh, glasses.
1: They're beautiful. Are, are they are they difficult yeah. to get? And and, and there is
6: and there is something interesting, um, which is an addition of the of the new edition, is that um, uh, these, these glasses were associ- associated with a contest, a the Jedi contest, where you could win some stuff. You could win just some. Uh, you just have to to replace some some basic question, and you could win uh, action figures and stuff like that. We knew about the contest because in, in my in my uh, previous book, you, you I also featured the the advertisements related to the glasses. But we we never found you know the caps, you know the caps uh, the original caps with the with the sticker on it, you know with the the contest sticker. And I, I actually I found them late 2013 at the drawlot auction in Paris, and if there was a set of the four glasses with with their caps. So I could add the caps to the book, you know. So that's a f- funny story because I, I thought when, when I saw the um, these glasses, these glasses on, on the on the auction catalog, I said, oh, oh my gosh! Uh, I was expecting a lot of competition, you know, because of the caps, and I was willing, maybe I was prepared, you know, to pay, I don't know, 400, 400, 500 euros, I don't know, you know, for the glasses just to get the caps. And uh, finally, I get them for fifty euros. So. That was pretty good. In fact, there was no competition. To reply to your question, uh, they are not—they are not very difficult to find. I guess if you look out um, on eBay in France, uh, there are a lot of uh, of sellers who specialize in th- in these glasses. If if you look on eBay on the French eBay, I guess you can find sellers uh, who are selling hundreds of the of these glasses. Uh, I haven't looked recently, but I'm pretty sure they are, they are still around. And and generally, they have th- they have these these glasses because they are popular. So uh maybe we will have to buy them from different sellers but they are not not so so difficult to find uh, i think even today and it, and it's quite cheap i guess uh you can get them for maybe 10 euros each you know
1: just a couple of last questions what's next for you regarding future projects uh books collecting focuses
6: so yes yes i definitely have some other projects <laughs> uh um, but I, I can't talk about them right now. But uh, I, I think you know, you know, uh, you know, pretty soon. Uh, I, I'm currently. Um, I recently finished uh, an, an official book. I'm not sure if you uh, if you know about it. It's an official, an official book, uh, a French book, which will be released only in France for for now. I'm not sure it will be re- released in any other countries. It's a nice book. Uh, you know, something that, so The kind of book you know, the publisher released for Christmas. You know. And it's a uh, it's a book about the Star Wars uh, saga, uh, the Star Wars movies in in France, in you know, overall. So, so the title is "Gardes uh, Étoiles," uh, which is a French title. So it says "Gardes uh, Étoiles: Star Wars View de France," which is which means uh, Star Wars, you know, as seen from France. And it reviews it's really something for 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 a large audience, and it reviews uh, all the all the Star Wars phenomenon and the way the movies were released, the way they were marketed, the way. The ways they were adapted for the French market, and also it reviews also the, the, all the products uh, by categories like toys, like board games, like uh, like uh, food premiums, or you know uh, posters, and the, the most successful products in all the cat- categories. And it's not only vintage; it's for the whole saga. So it's it, it runs from uh, from uh, from the original movies to the prequels. So that's a nice book, and um, the the thing we are partic- particularly proud about it is that uh, it's the so we are we are Five authors on this book, uh, and the thing we are uh, pretty proud about it is that for for two things. Uh, the first thing is that it's, um, it's the first time Lucasfilm allow a book directly, you in know, a, in a, to be released in a domestic language, uh, which is not a book translated from US or UK publication. So it's really a book which is released directly in French, in French, and it's not just a translation like uh, all the other books which are released in French. Uh, so this is the first thing, and the second thing is that uh, it's the first time in 20 years uh, that, uh, that Lucasfilm, this name, but of course it's, it was Lucasfilm before, uh, allows the usage of the, the original French logo, it well, the pyramidal logo, uh, and if, if you look backward, the last time this logo was used on official product, it was in 1994, 95 Since then, since the special edition, it has been Star Wars everywhere. You couldn't use anymore the original title. Pretty, uh, uh, excited about it, so I guess maybe it will open some new, uh, some new opportunities in other countries as well, I don't know. So that's a nice book for, for a large audience, if I could say, and we are particularly, particularly proud about for for these two reasons. Now I still have some other projects uh, ongoing after. I prefer not to talk about it because um, that's the way I do with my book. Uh, I prefer just to work on the project, you know, and, sure and yeah and talk about it when I know I uh, will actually deliver. I, I, I don't, I don't want to create, you know, some kind of uh, expectations, you know, on on a book I, I would not produce or I would not deliver or I would not deliver on time because you know things in the life or you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so I prefer to to work on it. I have my own schedule, so. I, I, I I will do my best to to you know to to keep my schedule. Uh, I said to myself, but uh, yeah, I prefer to to keep that uh, and, and announce it when it's uh, when it's done. And speaking about collection, um, I'm I'm just trying to, to finish the the square card uh, set, but I don't know how much time it will take. You know, uh, because you never know. Uh, when you never know if you're speaking about square card. So like I said, if you're looking for for Star Wars square card, I guess Monet can buy them if you have. Big, big money to spend. Uh, for the Empire Strike Back, it's really different, because uh, they are very rare and generally, I know many cards were locked in collection, but generally, uh, it's, uh, so you have the Mechano collectors who have, who have, a, who, have a, who have, them, but it's like me, you know, they're trying to complete their set. And there are also many, uh, actually there are also many, uh, foreign collectors who have Mechano cards. But uh, in in US, uh, Australia, UK, uh, but generally they don't want to sell it to sell them or trade them because they only have one or two, and that's the difficult part. And they want to keep keep them, you know, as reference, you know, a card of each country, things like that, you know. So that's very difficult to convince them to convince them to to, to, to part with them. So that I, I can I, I cannot have any schedule on it because uh, it really depends uh, on opportunities, you know. It's more luck. It's more it's more luck than, than networking, you know. At this point. And uh and for the Troy logos I continue to keep to keep an eye out on Troy Logo because as you know, I'm focusing on the... Uh, I, I like it's not a focus, but I like the, the, the variants, the Troy Logo French variants. Again the, the production was really as so you you can't be sure, you know, of what's out there, you know. So because of the of the numerous uh you know variation when you consider the cardstock, the bubble and the stickers, you know, and the punch all. There are probably variations. I know. Uh, I don't know which exist, and and mostly vi- a lot of variations which, which which doesn't exist at all. I'm not I'm not um, seeking uh, any cards because my set is complete, and then sometimes I have uh, up to four or five times the same the same character because of the of the variants. But I'm just keeping an eye out, you know, and uh, and when I see some cards I don't have i I try to get them but uh, but uh yeah it's more you know uh just waiting and then, and looking at the stuff you know which comes by.
1: So, finally, finally Stefan, just one more question. If, mm-hmm. if the Earth was about to come to its end and we were moving to another yeah. planet and room's really limited on the, uh, on the ship and they say to you, you can just take one piece from your collection. There's only room for one piece. What are you taking with you? Money's no object, obviously. Um I, I
6: guess I would have probably picked up, uh, one of the, the Chewbacca card I have, uh, maybe a Chewbacca square card or maybe a 12-back card. Eh? I don't know. Or possibly, uh, I guess, possibly the square count because it's more iconic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I would pick up that,
1: yeah. Wonderful. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've given us so much information. And on my notes, I've probably only asked you half of what I was uh, going to, but you're so informative on what you do answer. So maybe keep that yes. for another time. Thank you so much for your time. We
2: really do appreciate it. And, and
6: thanks for thinking about me for, for your podcast. Yeah, so I appreciate it too. Well, no, thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you, Stefan. I I really enjoy the historical side of it because that's where my interest is, so you've given me a load of information on the history, which I think is fantastic.
1: Hopefully catch up with you at Celebration next year. Okay, thank you,
6: guys.
1: Okay then, over to Jez for this month's newest acquisitions. Jezebel. Hello,
4: what have we here? Ah, good! New acquisitions!
0: Hey! Hello, we got... I do not know where to start. Well, no, that's not true. Once again, I'm going to start Star Wars Forum UK. But my word, guys, there is just so much out there. It, it's crazy. So if I've missed anything out, then then I apologize. And, and if I have missed some crazy stuff, it's not my fault it's yours. Because I haven't been tagged by you guys out there. Because I need to be tagged so we can see what there is. But let's start off with Star Wars Forum UK on page 1762. New fella, Shaky Boba Fett. His name's Ricky. He's just put up some lovely loose figures, it's where we've all started, some really nice condition, and he's ended up getting himself on page 1771, a nice-looking barada. So, Ricky, welcome to the forum, and uh, I'm going to enjoy watching your collection grow. Quality. Now, moving on, I think we've all seen this on page 1763. Not some pictures, but a guy who's just so got the bug that it just does seem on every page he's posting a video... Of him opening his stuff in its craziest fashion possible. His name's Andre. He's wired.
3: He is the gangster rap of Star Wars collecting. He's crazy. It's crazy. It's just like a flood of mocks. Mocks coming in every day. I think it's boxes of them. The way he's opening these boxes, my word, it's great. Blade, His big knife.
5: I thought my favorite one was where he gets. I think it's a forty-eight back. Empire Strikes Back. Ig88 out of the box. Takes him most of the video in which to get out of the box. When he does get out of the box, he drops it. <laughs> so um, I'm gonna hopefully put an insert here of uh, the sound effect because this is the sound of a Scandinavian person dropping an IG88 carded Empire Strikes Back figure on the floor.
9: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <Oy! laughs> <laughs>
1: I must admit though with him, I felt he took a hard time on his slippers and I thought his slippers were very, very nice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But Andre, absolutely welcome to the forum. The forum is richer for having you there. And the same with you, Ricky. So moving on, we'll go to page 1767. Max F. Stunning, absolutely stunning DT Luke Farmboy. You just look at that and just think iconic, such an amazing figure. You're lucky man on page 1767. Awesome. Moving on to page 1770, Ed, guy who actually runs and owns Star Wars from UK, finding his childhood figures. Now, I've seen this. You know, I know exactly how this feels. It's a wonderful feeling, and they are now pride in centre in his collection. He absolutely loves them, and it's delightful to see. So check it out on page 1770. Wonderful. Moving on, it's the same page, 1770, Sub-Level Studios. It's got his press pack. And Revenge Invite. Oh my word, fantastic. I didn't even realize that this stuff was readily available. Press packs and invitation packs.
4: It's a preview of the new Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi. And you could be there if you're one of five grand prize winners in Kenner's Star Wars Return of the Jedi sweepstakes. Grand prize also includes Kenner's complete Star Wars Return of the Jedi collection. Entry deadline April 1st, 1983. Thousands entered. Only five win the grand prize. Details on posters and entry blanks at participating stores. Your entry gives you a chance to be one of the first to see...
7: Return
0: of the Jedi. Now, Grant, you're a bit of an oddball collector. Is this the sort of stuff which has come up on your radar before?
5: Yes, mate. They are... I wouldn't say they're readily available, especially not in massive sets like that. He's pretty much got everything there he's got two cast and crew invites to do uh return of the jedi in its original folder he's got the revenge of the jedi press pack in its original envelope uh preview tickets for empire strikes back in hollywood including the original info sheet the folder goes with that another revenge of the jedi envelope from lucasfilm and uh some return of the jedi uh, press packs i mean you you do find one or two of these but never such a massive set like that and in immaculate condition as well. I love it. I would I would love to have all those.
0: Yeah, very, very lucky. Yeah, he, he's done so well. Mark is obviously a massive character on the forum, and it's delightful to see him getting something he wants. So I, I contacted Mark, and I just said, tell me some more about this. And he's just said, OK, the invites top left were obtained directly from a Lucasfilm employee. The cast and crew invites for a special advance screening of Return of the Jedi at the Coronet Theatre in San Francisco in 1983. I mean, that's awesome already, isn't it? That's just yeah. such a cool bit of history. He said this is the first time he's seen these invites up for sale on eBay. He said they cost him a fair bit, but considering a similar lot of invites sold at the recent prop store auction in September for £325, he got an absolute bargain. So, delighted for you, Mark. The Empire Strikes Back invite On top right of the picture, again, not seen one on eBay since he started searching for these kind of items, so no idea how rare it is, but he got it directly from the woman who attended the screening. I mean, this guy, how well connected is he? I mean, you you sew it out there and you just get it back, don't you? It's fantastic. Oh, cool. She worked on the film industry on loads and loads of productions during the 70s and 80s. I asked her if she had anything else like this relating to Star Wars, but to no avail. This was the only item she had. It's in really lovely condition, as you said, Grant, and it's been stored away after it's been used, and she'd forgotten all about it until a recent clear-out. He paid £50 all in for it, which to him is a small amount of money for what he considers to be a really cool piece of Star Wars history. Me too, mate. When you consider now, Commonal Garden mint on card figure, £50, and you've got something like that, that's absolute class i we'll just move on to so the Revenge of the Jedi Press Pack, as you say, in the middle, relatively easy to find. But you'll find the original envelope is missing nine out of ten times. This is complete and in really nice condition. So that's interesting that the envelope is what's missing almost all the time. The cover is pure white with the Revenge logo embossed onto it. Oh, it's amazing. Spiral and features some of Ralph McCrory's pre-production art for the film. It's a really nice press promo item. He's been looking for one complete at reasonable cost for some time. They normally fetch about a hundred, but he got it for sixty. I need to go shopping with this guy. I know, Grant. I know. I said I need to go shopping with you. But oh my word! I mean, I'm just smiling. I don't know if that comes across on on the uh, microphone or what. Uh, the Revenge of the Jedi envelope came with the re- uh, Return of the Jedi cast and crew invites. It's just a nice item to have. Anything with Revenge on it is cool. I'd say it's worth about twenty. He said the press pack and the invite in the bottom right; these are really quite easy to find. The invites are something that's sometimes missing though. Probably one of the easiest press promo items to find—about thirty to fifty pound complete. These were handed out for the press screenings. Mark, what a fantastic load of information! Brilliant. Thank you so much for sending that to me. And um, yeah, there's a Secret Santa on this year, isn't there? Hmm, that wouldn't be a nice little present for me. My word. Moving on page 1772. Gary Smith. Sif Smith. I spotted his awesome Micro X-Wing. That's stunning. Again, something else which I've seen and gone, ah! Oh, I didn't realise they had those. I didn't realise that exists. Now I want one of those too.
3: Micro like Collection is absolutely cool. And you know I have one piece <laughs> of my collection. But there's a couple of things in this. One was the, the kind of weird dramatic crash feature which... It looks like a, maybe the pilot was a bit drunk and crashed into the, into the ground, which is a bit strange. But what does that remind you of? From the, from the Force Awakens trailer, it looks like the the X-Wing is sitting there in the yeah. in the sand. I mean, that's a remarkable kind of similarity. But have you ever seen a, an X-Wing crash into the ground? He really has crashed. It's seen one crash into a swamp. I know, but his nose didn't do that, did it? I mean, that's...
5: That would have been a totally different Empire Strikes Back when Yoda lifts it right. out and the front half of it's missing. Shit, ship stuck Exactly. I
3: don't... I
5: don't
9: believe it.
13: That is why you fail. Moving on. Page
0: 1773. Max F. Again, we, we've mentioned Max earlier on, but he had this horrific postage packaging story um, uh, costs, and this, that, and the other, and then it's Star Wars Palatoy Ben, which is absolutely mint, almost
3: destroyed in the post. I mean, that's, I mean, you know what I like with packaging. It really annoys me. I mean, I mean, that is ridiculous. That's just in a box. I can't see any padding or anything. We-, we talked
2: about this about a year ago, where it's getting to the point now where we have to stop thinking about sending mocks through the post, because I don't think, for some of them, it doesn't matter what you do, They're going to, they're going to crack for me it's a bit of both ways if you're buying off ebay i think you have to make it very very clear that this is how you want it packaged whereas if you're buying off the forum i think it's much more on the seller to think you know yes this is what i've got to do well congratulations max f i mean you you fortunately
0: very luckily got yourself a really really mint palatoy carded ben kenobi utterly brilliant so uh good on you mate so That's the end of Star Wars Forum UK. Well, it's not the end of Star Wars Forum UK. It's the end of that particular section on new acquisitions. And now, I wanted to go on to TIG. But what they've got, thread-wise, they've broken it down. So on their vintage collecting thread, they've got a separate sub-thread titled Latest Vintage Purchases, Volume 11. Now, on page 9 of Volume 11, you'll see that Walkie, who's known on several forums and on the Facebook groups, is shown three different variants of loose um, lily leddy clatus, including the really fluffy skirt and a thin skirt. Now I absolutely love the fluffy leddy skirt clatu. I think yeah, every, everyone talks about clatu mark and oh, Mint on Car, the most common. But actually, to get the fluffy skirt, I think that's definitely one which I'd consider getting by collection and really nice to see. So good on you.
1: Does Richard have all these variations of Klaatu? considering he stated that he has completed all variants of his loose collection. Good course,
2: Jay. I did actually say I've completed most major variants, um, but I don't have the fluffy skirt, but I, I won't go down the route that Walkie's going, because I was talking to Walkie last year, and he said you've basically got to buy all the lady figures again, because there's that many differences, but I really don't think they are. Um, but I, but I will buy your fluffy skirt but I won't get the thin <laughs> fluffy skirt and the medium fluffy skirt and the the, 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 the short hem do, their double dropped York complete fluffy skirt it just for me it's just a fluffy skirt or not
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you can see that on page nine also on RS and stores from UK continuing on so on page nine you've got master time Vokka with a boxed rancor complete with a price sticker down to just four pounds. And this was an interesting one because it still had the zip tie around it. Obviously it wasn't played with a massive amount. And it had been reduced down and reduced down to just £4. But really, really cool and nice to see on TIG. Then moving on, an utterly stunning mint on-card of uh, AT-ST driver by Darth Beresing. It's absolutely brilliant.
5: Yeah, I think you don't really see any mint levy mint on cards, they always seem to have, you know, some sort of superficial damage on it of some kind or, you know, rips and and bends. And I wonder why that is. I mean yeah, I've never seen a super mint one, but I wonder if the card stock is different, if it's a bit lighter or but they do seem prone to more damage whether it's, you know, the bubbles or the card.
0: Yeah, you, even all of the uh, just the card bags which you see, I was fortunate enough to see a few card bags in Anaheim and I knew Ben picked up a few. But yeah, none of those were absolutely mint either. So yeah. Let's have a little look into that. That, that could be something where, uh, we need a little bit of, a little bit of help from out there. And then finally, our last one on Imperial Gunnery Forum on page 10. I was really, really surprised and really pleasantly surprised. Chuffed to see Jedi June posted. Now he was a, uh, firm favourite on Star Wars Forum UK. He's, he's back after a bit of a sabbatical posting on page 10 of Tig with a nice loose Bib Fortuna who he got complete posted for just 10 bucks. So there we go. We've now covered stuff. Letty mocks down to £10 posted, complete
2: figures. Well, I think you've nailed every point there, Jez. Not only is this an absolute beauty of a complete loose figure, um, but it's always nice to see somebody like June come back into the hobby. I mean, with his passion, he's definitely been missed. So moving on to RS Rebel
0: Scum. Fantastic on page 162. Matteo has got his French Meccano tri-logo combo R5 from KO sticker. Absolutely stunning, really, really cool. On page one hundred and sixty-two of Rebel Scum,
1: this sticker's tiny. Okay, it's what four or five words on a single line, stuck to the bottom, bottom right of the front. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is there much price difference? Does this does this add a great deal of value to a trilogo card? Are these really sought after and rare? For a
0: focus collector,
3: these stickers can be everything. Absolutely. Right. Um Grant, you're quite
5: well travelled. Where's Macau? It's in by China. Thank
3: you. And Jez, can we have the word Macau again in in Jez speak? Macau, <laughs> or is it Macao in your words? <laughs> I
0: guess
1: in Macao. Yeah. <laughs> do, you know
3: what the, um, do you know what the cows said when they were
1: approaching the Death Star? That's the moon. No. No. <laughs> That's very very
0: Rich, you need to buy this. So uh, yeah, absolutely stunning. Um, really really love it. French Macao. Uh, I try it. I thought you'd be interested in this rich because it was the r5 you know i know that you're your r5 focus collector now so maybe one day hey yeah one day moving on page 163 ollie's with his amazing 47 back another r5 this time it's an r5 proof and engineering pilot as well so the proof is one of a kind stunning he's delighted with it and to have an engineering pilot as well what a lucky lucky chap
2: good on you mate yeah, I mean, it, it's nice to see Ollie um, buying and holding on to items for me because it saves me the time tracking them down in the future. But I'm really pleased that Ollie's actually managed to pick this up because there's a thread on Rebel Scum that he's bumped something like 18,000 times now saying, please any leads on this 40, 47 back. So it's, it's great that he's got it. But you're right there. Not only is the 47 back absolutely stunning, but the engineer and pilot is, the, in the photo, is the only known R5D4P production item. So, double cool score. Well done, Ollie.
0: Right, so moving on
2: to page 164.
0: The scumster he had a nice Yodo, Sudooka, mint on card. Come on, can, can everyone have a go? Su- to scooter To scooter Scooda. Yeah, Say what? To scooter
1: I'm more worried that you called him Yodo.
3: Yeah, exactly. Ignore the tea, ignore the tea, basically. Yeah, Sakuda. What? What, what on is tea. going on?
0: Come so, on, Jez. The Scum Star with his nice Yoda, Sakuda <laughs> mint on cards. Easy as that. Fantastic. Really, really nice. Congratulations, mate. It looks awesome. So, moving on to the Facebook groups. First of all, on the 12-back and early vintage collecting group, we've got Shane Carter, who's got a fantastic male FET mailer run. So not just one, but he's got a complete run of FET mailers. Absolutely fantastic. And I managed to get a couple of uh, words out of him. This is what he had to say. He's only very new to collecting, coming up only three years now, so he's been really lucky to have Rubble Scum and the Facebook groups and many friends to help find these guys. The Palatoy FET mailer originally came from Ross. He pieced it together and got it certified. Ross sold and traded him with cash Uh, For a one-off hand sample mock or mint on card, various other people getting in touch, people helping out, dipping in and out. So in three years, that guy has amassed a fantastic collection just by networking like a ninja on the Facebook groups and Rebel Scum. So what a fantastic collection, Fetmailer run, Lucky Boy, 12-back early vintage collecting group. Moving on, uh, Ross Bar, again, same group, 12-back vintage collecting group, and 85 AFA VCJ.
5: Absolutely stunning pieces, isn't it? Uh, the value of Final Key Chow has have gone up considerably over the last couple of years. But, yeah, what an amazing piece, uh, you know, holy grown in anyone's collection, especially for Star Wars collectors. And um, nice to see Ross Bar finally coming around to, to support AFA. Right, so, again, still in the same group This group is crazy
0: Greg Proctor completed his 12-back run Absolutely stunning, great Again in the 12-back group Thanks so much, Greg, it looks awesome There's definitely a pattern with this group This 12-back early vintage collecting group It's just all epic, fantastic Moving on to the Empire Strikes Back collecting group You've got another, I don't want to focus too much on this But it was just a beautiful piece AFA 85, Luke Farmboy, 41E. It's, it's brilliant. Empire Strikes Back sent from U.S. to Australia and back to the U.S. again. Nikos Kazizi Jr., mate, you've got such a fantastic piece there. Really, really envious. He said, not much to tell. Aside from his long journey, he was an upgrade from his AFA 80. He desperately wanted the original 12 mint on card. But in today's market, he's forced to mix and match. As it stands... He's only got one twelve back five 20-backs, and six on Empire Strikes Back cards. And for now, it does him just fine. It's his own modest collection of the original 12. So there we go, a mixture of the original 12, and they just do look fantastic. It is really cool to see them all sat there together. Yeah, good on you, Nicholas. Looks brilliant, mate. We're leaving Empire Strikes Back, and we're moving on. Return of the Jedi Facebook group, Ludovic Bardesh. I hope I've pronounced your name right there, mate, Ludovic completed your tri-logo run with three really nice mint on card figures, including the elusive General Medine. Stu, I saw you eyeing that up. What are your thoughts, buddy?
1: Well, I, I think this run's absolutely incredible. Obviously, since we started the podcast, I've spoken to Joe and Ed, who are both huge tri-logo um, collectors. And Ed's been collecting tri since the mid-90s and he stated he'd never seen a sealed Jawa tri-logo. So, to complete a run with Medine, with the Jawa, with the FET, which is rare, according, depending on who you talk to, incredible, incredible effort. Real, real beautiful, um, beautiful accomplishment, isn't it? Amazing. Yeah,
0: stunning. I don't know.
1: It's just, and, and the thing is, it, it's the condition
0: of it, because often you get the uh, General Maydean logo and the bubbles are cracked or are damaged. But no, they, they are looking great. Ludovic, huge congratulations. Guys, check it out, the Return of the Jedi Facebook group. It's awesome. It's moving on. I grouped these together. This is from the Vintage Poc and PvP group. I've got Sergio Sierra, Dario Diaz, Mendina, and Enric Rivera. All have got these factory error loose PvP figures. They're, they are absolutely crazy. I know Grant, I think you'd seen these. We've got an unpainted-faced rebel soldier. That's Sergio's. Dario, this is the craziest one ever. He's got an unpainted neck Lando with an unpainted backside, but the head is a Han Hoth. Now Eric has got an unpainted Greedo that I thought that Stu would like. Now, what's going on here? Grant, what's going on? Are these PPPs the way forward to get cool factory errors? Or is there something more sinister at play?
5: Seems really strange. I mean, I love the unpainted Greedo. I think it looks fantastic. And the Han Hoth on the Lando body. Can't you pop these heads off and put them on? I mean, you know, I'm not. I'm not disputing the fact that they're legit.
0: I don't know. I'm just. I'm just trying to think about this, and, and trying to think about everything. You know, in a in a non sinister way. You know, I'm not thinking that um, strange things are for, at Circle K and stuff.
5: But no, of course, of course. Yeah, maybe maybe Paritoy wouldn't accept them and ship them to Spain.
4: Yeah, you
0: know, maybe maybe production wise, so there were more errors than we thought. And can you imagine how many factory errors which has binned at Colville? Well, you know, just where they're like, no, not happy with that. Just real one of a kind fact chairs. No, nope, nope, not happy with that. I, I just think they're awesome. I mean, th- that whole sort of, yeah, talk about a hybrid. This is a real hybrid, unpainted pack side, but the head is hand off. Absolutely cracking. So, um, yeah, why don't you check out that for those people who haven't seen that vintage pack hand PBP. Really, really good. Moving on. What else do I find? I'm just out there. There's just so much. I don't know where to stop. And I'm just trying to trying, trying to look at everything. You know, and I haven't fed myself for ages. I haven't shaved weeks. I'm just stood in front of my laptop looking at all this loveliness. It's crazy. Then I find the Star Wars displays and advertising group. Anthony, why is it I'm choosing all the people who haven't got the name like John Smith? Anthony took with his Star Wars displays and advertising. He's got his Burger King glasses display Mint In Box. and this... I've seen two different ones of these on Facebook in the same week, and I hadn't seen any before. Burger King glasses. I'm going to go back to you, Grant, because as everyone knows, you are the oddball and displays guru. So um, what are your thoughts on
5: this, buddy? Is, this is the Darth Vader one, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty nice piece. Normally, Jez, at the end of uh, latest acquisitions, you always say, well, have, have we seen any pieces that stick out to us? But that entire... Last month, since about the 15th of September, on that uh, Facebook group, the Shop Displays one, there's been just a host of amazing Burger King Shop Displays, this one being one of them. This one as well has got the uh, the, the mail-in box as well, and I think it's got the bag with it and uh, all the other little pieces that comes with it. There was one on eBay exactly like it about three years ago, and it sat there for £295 and no one bought it for the longest time. Now I'm thinking that was a massive bargain that was missed. Yeah.
0: What sort of... um what sort of year of release were these, mate?
5: Uh, the Vader glasses, that's Return of the Jedi. Right. But there's, there's a, there's a long string. I mean, if you go back there, uh, on that, on that Facebook group over the last like three or four weeks, there's been Burger King promotion items from Star Wars Empire and Jedi. You know, you've got, uh, you know, danglers, you've got, you've got the work. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I'd like, I'd like,
14: oh
0: my goodness.
5: I, I'm, <laughs> I've got such an addiction.
0: I'd love to have something like that in my collection. Really, really cool.
14: Burger
4: King presents four bright colorful Star Wars glasses. Hey, it's
11: Luke Skywalker. And a Pritzker King. Wow! Get your kids a different Star Wars glass each week. Buy a regular serving of Coke for 59 cents plus tax. Get Chewbacca.
13: Get Darth Vader. R2-D2 and C3PL. We can (laughs) get all
14: four Star Wars glasses at Burger King until February 2nd.
0: Let's move on. Matthias. Hi. There's <laughs> another one. Why can't I choose people with just... Why can't I choose Johns and Waynes? Right, so, then we've got Matthias Zimmergren from the Luke Skywalker Focus Group. I don't think any of you guys are members of this group. It's just really, really nice. It's quite simple. It's a molded face Luke Jedi with a snapcake. I think snap snapcake is just... the uh, the coolest little variant for Luke Jedi figure ever. It's really, really nice. And thanks, Matthias, for giving me an extra photograph. Really, really cool. I, I, I always think that that
3: cake looks like someone's mum has put that on. Because <laughs> it was kept coming apart. Totally.
0: Probably really <laughs> easy to fake, aren't
3: they? I'm sure. But,
0: no. I just feel like, yeah, I might just get my daughter to do it. Because she's quite handy with sewing now. Go on, Emmy. Go and get anx. You know, put one
3: of those little snapcakes. Churn them out, Jez, and make a fortune. Oh, look at that, yeah. Mm, replicate the capes whole new business <laughs> moving on so
0: yavin 4 stevie doggett he's uh he's sent me a message after i sent him one saying this first 12 display stand s 12 display stand looks awesome we've mentioned it before and and steve looks uh looks really cool now,
2: rich you've got a couple of connections with yavin 4 haven't you yeah i was talking to stevie about this piece i mean the prices of these have shot up in the last two or three months. And to find a loose one in good condition now, we are looking at £100, £150. But he's, he's bought this off eBay. And the figures aren't in great condition, but the complete, but the stand looks absolutely fantastic. The card back shows very, very little way. Um, and as far as I'm aware, every part all the lever's are actually working. So great pickup. Even the figures, even if the figures aren't great, it's still a fantastic pickup. Well done. Yeah, Stevie. Awesome, mate. Thanks for letting us use
0: the photograph. Really cool. I I do like these uh figure display stands. I think they are just slightly too big for the Tatolf cabinet. Is that correct?
5: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's actually a lot bigger than you'd think if you've uh if you've not seen one.
0: Yeah, oh, that's right. Christians just made a new case for them, hasn't he? That's right. all yeah. that Father's from, looked absolutely sens- sensational. Stevie, mate, check it out. Get in uh, contact with GW Acrylics and, and have a little look because that will look even better in a decent case like that. So nice one. Moving on. Now I have, I have a look at this every month because I just so desperately want to get a miscard. And on the Star Wars miscarded figures and factory errors group, Benjamin Ugly. It's got a rebel soldier on a Skywalker gunner card. It looks so cool. And we know Benny, Benny one hundred. He's on there. Uh, he's on the forum as well.
5: Well, I've actually never seen uh, this one before. And do you know why that is? Go on. Because Gary Smith doesn't own it. But apparently Gary has the same configuration, but the other way around. Yeah, but that's really cool. Didn't didn't the bubble crack a little bit in in transit?
0: So, yeah, it's got a crack on each corner. Apparently, but you yeah, know that that's the thing with these bubbles. Right at the end of the line, wasn't it?
5: Yeah, uh, that's that's unfortunate, but an amazing piece.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, cards, uh, they are just cool. I love them, and uh, yes, oh. keep your eye out for me. So so far, people are keeping their eye out for me for for PBB, for park for display stuff for miscards um, for for lots of things. It appears at the moment I need in my life. <laughs> anyway, moving on. It's all good. It's all good stuff in it. I love it. So, Echo Base UK trading. Hmm, thought. He might have scored a DT Luke. This is Matt Done it again. Why am I choosing people with difficult names? <laughs> so Matt Volpato, I hope it's a Volpato. Um thought he had scored a DT Luke. We're gonna have to put this photograph up so people can see for themselves. He he got this figure, I think he got it on eBay and it was like he, he knew it was coming, but the figure looked like it was a, there was a shadow on it. It looked like it could have been the outer of a DT saber which would have been an absolute bargain so this was it he put the he, he puts it up there and people are saying "Yep, yeah, absolutely definitely a dt and then you get other people saying yeah that's not that just looks like it's uh, just a bit grubby and bit not what, what were
1: your thoughts Stu? well th- this is where i thought where people were coming on there going oh yeah yeah it looks the real deal that bloke in my opinion is going to be sitting at home thinking i've just bagged a massive bargain I've got a DT coming. And I just think to myself, he's just had horrendous disappointment when it's arrived. (laughs) Forget the story and the, uh, oh, could it be, and the excitement. Surely in his head he's started to think that that is a proper DT. And then when it arrives, no, I'd have been devastated. I would have just waited I had it in hand before posting the picture.
0: I I quite enjoyed the journey, though. I quite enjoyed the whole thing about, you know, is it, is it, is it not? Uh, Will they, won't they? Um, I, I know what you mean. But the fact is, yeah, you know, he shared it with the community. The community was in there like, oh, no, is it? And everyone was behind him. And, yeah, everyone everyone shared his disappointment. But, end of the day, it didn't cost him a significant amount of money. So it would have been a massive score, a massive coup if it was true. But, actually, no, he's just ended up with a, uh, a nice nicely farm boy just with a tip taken off of this uh, saber. So for the money he spent, not bad. Uh, and do you know what? Here we go. Every cloud has a silver lining. Matt will give you another shout out. There you go. Boom. <laughs> it's always nice, actually, to what you she say that? To, to go out, to end on a, a couple of high notes. There's been a lot of community help going on nowadays, a lot of get-togethers, some great trades, and a lot of people saying about the great trades, and people looking out for each other. Now, these stories are really, really cool, and, uh, and and there's some nice gestures out there going on. Now, I had seen something which I thought was absolutely brilliant, and we're going back to the 12-back and early vintage collecting group, Jeff
1: Walter, with his walrus Man, his Jew. You're familiar with this story, aren't you? Yeah, I'll I'll let you run with this, but Paul Macklin, he's an absolute superstar, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, let me go into it then. So, so Jeff put this post up, and I started reading and thinking, oh,
0: what's all this about? So, if you don't mind, I'll just have a read. Being an admin and member of this group for a year and a half, I've seen a lot of great stories in this community. This week, I was the recipient of one such great story. Here goes. About 18 months ago, I bought an ungraded Wallace man on RS from a guy called Paul Macklin. I didn't know Paul and never dealt with him. We agreed on a price and he shipped it to me. I sent it off for grading and was disappointed when it arrived back graded 60. Neither Paul nor I had noticed a tiny bubble crack. I was bummed and Paul's upset and very apologetic. However, life goes on and since then, Paul and I have become good friends and have bought and sold for each other several times. Earlier this week... Paul messaged me asking if I still had the Warris Man. I did, of course. Send it to me, he said. You've got an AFA 85 headed your way. Even trade. What a kind gesture on his behalf, and I'm truly grateful to Paul for this thoughtful act
5: and for his friendship.
0: I mean, how fantastic is that?
5: Yeah, that's super cool, isn't it? That's really good.
0: I mean, what about that? This, you know, Paul was quite clearly, you know, upset, gutted, feeling a little, you know, feeling guilty, feeling disappointed. Who, who knows whether or not that damage happened in the post or, or, or what. And obviously it would have been beautiful anyway. He would have been really delighted for it. But then it was the people at AFA said, no, it's got a tiny crack on it. If you get your magnifying glass out and have a little look. But obviously this weighed on Paul's mind. And, you know, a while later, he just sends him off an AFA 85. What a gentleman.
1: 18 months as well, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? That's sitting in his mind that he sent a cracked bubble to someone for 18 months.
0: Well, what, well, what well, cool, which is really, really nice. Uh, and so there you go, Paul. What a, what a great gesture. Now moving on, the last one, which I wanted to mention, and it's the return of a Jedi collecting group. Now I'm sure most of us would have seen this. Gene Smith with his free afa-80 attack driver mint on card giveaway so his post was quite simple i would like to give this away to someone deserving if you would like to nominate someone then please share your reason why in the comments thread please tag your nominee in your comments thanks in advance for your input simple that's it no agenda nothing else gene smith decided you know what i want to give this off not only is it a Beautiful. I mean, yes, it's AFA80. Yes, it's in an acrylic case, but the attack driver is just such an iconic card you know, it's it's up there, isn't it, with the TIE Fighter pilot and everything else. Really, really cool, good-looking car. So you just wanted to give it away to someone deserving. So what did we see? What happened then, Rich? What did
2: you see? Well, I joined this quite late, and normally on these kind of threads, I won't post somebody's name, because there are so many deserving guys in the community. But by the time I got there, it was quite clear that there was going to be an outright winner. Um, And so many guys have said, Michael Beloy, for all of his passion, enthusiasm, and... One guy told you I've never ever seen a negative post from Michael, and, and that's completely true. you go back and read his posts; he's always super enthusiastic and passionate. So I was I was really pleased to stick my name down on that list. So well done, Michael, and obviously even more. And um, so well done, Gene, because that was such a fantastic. Like as Jez said, there you weren't wanting packs on the back; you you weren't wanting anything in return. It was just such a nice gesture. It's what it's what the community's all about.
14: Still I died and you didn't bat an eye You dissed me hard, you left me scarred and me the ultimate bad
13: guy The antagonist, you were just the best You were red, black and true I sure had a laugh cutting you in half That's what I had to do Could've been your wrecking ball, but I
14: never got one ounce of. turned you left me spurned and now my legs
13: are not around the antagonist you were just the best you were red black and true i sure had a laugh cutting you in half that's what i had to do i could have been
14: In a lakeless fall, All you
13: ever did was
14: Kill me Yeah you You killed me
13: Remember that it's my Star Wars I didn't want to keep you in
14: But look at how I used the force When I defeated Qui-Gon Jinn
13: but Obi-Wan just had to win I think you should have kept me in I never would have let you win The antagonist You were just the best You were red, black, and true I could have been your wrecking ball But I
14: never got one I Your sacrifice left me thrashing in a legless mall. All you ever did was kill me. Yeah, you you killed me. Yeah, you killed me.
1: That was Wreckin' Maul by Randy Turnbow. Huge thank you to Randy for giving us permission to use his song this month. Be sure to check out his other work, including many fantastic parodies over at YouTube. Just search Randy Turnbow.
3: I was unaware of the Secret Cinema and it wasn't until a thread on SWFUK convinced me that signing away 75 quid for the pleasure of watching Empire Strikes Back was a particularly good idea. As soon as you sign up, you start getting emails from something called Rebel X, which leads you to a very barren looking website which starts asking you vague questions. They appear to be trying to kind of establish your rebellious tendencies, and from here you're assigned one of four character traits with a unique name. Um, You could either be a Galactic Explorer, Mercenary, Pilot or Council Member. I was a Galactic Explorer and Jez was, funnily enough, assigned as a Pilot. Each character was then given a costume guide as well as being told to take a number of pocket-sized items for trade. The most important item, apparently, was this scarf, which was used throughout the event. Leading up to the event itself, you are supposed to interact with your fellow Rebels in events throughout the South of England... ...and get kitted out by visiting the official shop... But you could put it together yourself, um, dressing up wasn't compulsory, but if you didn't, then you did look like the sad guy who turns up to a, a fancy dress party
10: as himself. Oh. Just before launch,
3: you are sent another email telling you to head to Canada Water Tube Station. It's a really good setting, because as you start to queue across the water from this supra-library designed by Piers Gough, that actually resembles a massive Jawa sand crawler, and it got everyone in the mood for Star Wars. Um, The queue is then directed into an industrial zone, through a security gate and into a large factory. And they start to process you. Your phones are locked away in bags and you're put to work and then trained. They have you moving in and out of containers, doing exercises, and all the time the noise from sirens, orders being shouted, and people coming from all
15: directions is absolutely chaotic. And essentially what we've done here is build the most ambitious star wars experience possible we've taken the concept of star wars and we've thought about how we could essentially allow the audience to step inside that world to create a character of that film that the audience themselves become characters inside if you feel like stepping inside star wars and actually being in that world that's what we're doing here as soon as we're in there
0: Someone came up to me and went, you're a star pilot, right? I need you to come here. I need you to get all the star pilots together. And, and cause I've got a job for you. So straight away, I'm like, right, all star pilots on me. And you're just shouting and, and getting everyone over. And there were people who didn't want to come because they didn't want to be separated from, you know, their partners. And it was just really, really crazy. Uh, I was dressed in an old divers immersion suit. So I had a big orange jumpsuit on and it, I know it was just fun. And you went in there. And what about when you got to Tatooine? What about well, when you got to Mos Eisley?
3: Well, first off, Jez, you forget that it was General Crix Medine oh, yeah. who was who was doing the. Tr- so he appears, and he and he actually got someone who looked a little bit like him as well to actually stand there and give you orders. So once you were led out of the train zone, um, you you had to put your you, everyone had to have a scarf. You had to put your scarf on, and they're leading you through, saying, Look, "There's people going to be shooting at you," and and all this sort of stuff. And you're and you're led through these little corridors, and they're basically moving you through the building, and then you're into a a massive great big room with loads and loads of seats in and they transport you um so the whole building is kind of like shaking the seats are shaking and there's gas and and smoke and steam coming at you from all all directions whilst you've got a big screen in front of you that looks like you're being taken to another planet uh which you are and eventually you are you are taken into the uh, the tatooine set which was i have to say absolutely phenomenal they must have spent most of that money on that set because it was just, it was enormous, wasn't it? It was enormous. And there was loads of buildings that looked like the dwellings on Tatooine. And you could go into these buildings and there was various bars in there and eateries and stuff. So again, you, you had to interact with the, either the actors or each other. I mean, you didn't really know who, who was who, but then, then the, the strange things started happening. You were supposed to go and find rebels and talk to them and get information. But there was a, a full size land speeder with Ben Luke, (laughs) CSPO, and there was an R2-D2 being hidden in the background. And this actually drove through the set itself. So you actually, you could go and just almost sit on it if you wanted to. It was enormous. Some some people I saw got pointed to jail. There's actually actually a jail in there. And one poor guy got put in there for most of the evening, which was highly amusing.
0: It it, it was brilliant. I mean, I was doing deals with the Jawas, and um, my wife was doing (laughs) deals with the Jawas, and I had a tiny little, I, I broke... I thought, how can I get a motherboard? How can I get a circuit board? So I had an old, um uh, a little pen drive and I broke apart my pen drive and took this tiny little chipboard in there. Uh, and can you imagine it? I was trying to give this tiny little chipboard to the Jawas and the Jawas were doing their, wow with their big arms, like where they were sort of you know, spreading their arms like, no, I want something big, I want something big. And I'm like, no, no, everything's small nowadays, everything's nano. And I, tried, I, I was saying to the Jawas, this is a motivator for an R5 unit. You might want it and um oh it, it was just you you could have so much fun there and the tatooine thing it was crazy but one of our missions was we had to find a farmer so i go into this little homestead where there's a table and there's an uncle and an aunt they're, they're talking to each other and they're making some food and then and then the man calls luke luke and then luke comes in and they reenact the whole scene at the table about luke wanted to go off and join the alliance and we stood there and we're watching it and my wife says to me i've just got goosebumps the whole thing we we, we were just there immersed in the movie
3: just as all these things were going on jess you're forgetting the what? cantina there was yes. a proper, fully built, and equipped cantina with the bar, where you can actually buy proper drinks. And then there was all these little alcoves where, you know, like where the ham Solo was sitting. There's about, I think it was about ten of them across the side, and then a kind of like a stage at the end. And again, it was all lit perfectly, so it looked like you were in the film. And inside the little alcoves, lots of little things were going on. So there was like a Han look lookalike, doing his whole Greedo thing. Um there was just deals going on. It was like Ben was in there talking to, to a, a rather shorter tobacco, may I say, but he he was definitely wasn't a full size one. But there was all these things going on, it's just everywhere you looked, something was going on from the film.
0: It was and a wretched hive. But it was weird for wretched. me. I don't know about you but the, they changed the music every now and then, but I walked in as it was do 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 do, and I just thought I don't do drugs. <laughs> but it feels like a complete trip, and it, this just actually feels really crazy. Uh, but so right, so
3: so cool. So then, then after after a couple of hours of doing that, um, some people could go up to the main kind of Death Star area early. But um, eventually, everyone was was kind of encouraged to gather in this kind of downstairs factory area. I mean, this place was enormous. Um, so you've you've got a huge crowd of people all kind of crammed into this. It's a very narrow, sort of corridor in a factory, looking up at all these pipes and stuff, and then, then the craziness happens, right? And this is where I think uh, I think Jez will get very excited about what happened next.
0: Oh, well, Pete, I actually flew everyone there though. That was the crazy thing because you had you had to go to Docking Bay ninety four first of all to get your flight to Alderan. Uh, and everyone was getting there and this obviously is how you ended up at the Death Star and I was at Docking Bay 94 and a pilot came up to me in my pilot rig he's like hey you're a pilot and I'm like yeah yeah oh, of course I'm a pilot he's like I need you to come and be my co-pilot I need you to help fly this crate and I'm like yeah yeah I can do that so so I get introduced to the whole crowd and they're like yeah this is our guy and he said oh what's your name and I said oh Daska and he thought I said Dak. So then he introduced me to everyone as, like, yeah, this is Dak, to which everyone went crazy. And then, uh, and then we sat down in this big spaceship and then, um, and I'm piloting it and he's talking to everyone and I'm doing my best to pilot it. But the attention to detail of the cockpit, which all you regular sort of members of the public weren't even there sat down in that chair. It was just me. The attention to detail was just phenomenal. And then, um, as I was flying along, then we realise that there's no Alderaan, and on had been blown up. And then that's how we arrived at the Death Star.
6: Oh, what a trip. What a trip.
3: That's, that sounds lucky for you, Jez. That was not open to classic Explorers and Mercenaries. Um, but then when everyone was gathered, um, they started kind of reenacting the end of Star Wars. Remember, we're, we're going to watch Empire Strikes Back. So they're kind of leading into it. Suddenly, above our heads... A full-size X-Wing fighter, and I mean a full-size one, appears from the rafters and comes down and they start, and they actually reenact the, uh, the, the trench scene. So they've got the, there's uh, a video at the end of this corridor, this big long corridor. They've got the video going on, so it looks like <laughs> you're watching, like, underneath, um, the actual battle that this x is going in there. You see the, the two torpedoes go through and the Death Star explodes. And then the X-Wing lands. It's like, oh, my goodness, this is getting better. And a little X-Wing fighter pilot pops out. And then you have the whole celebration scene where, because everyone's packed into this sort of corridor and there's a big staircase that looks like the, the Yavin kind of celebration area. You part the ways and then all the heroes come at Han Solo, Luke, Chewbacca, you know, Leia. They all come running up the middle and then up the stairs. And, of course, everyone's cheering. It's just like the end of the film. And then once all the celebrations are done, and you know you're you're led into an enormous kind of like sort of two area cinema with a really really high spec screen in the middle of it on both sides, and um, they start showing The Empire Strikes Back.
0: I don't think we can you know bring across exactly how cool this whole experience was, but this up until this point had been about three hours. The whole event started for up uh, for, for me at half five, and by which time it was now about half past eight, and everyone was. You weren't knackered. You were just pumped. You were just <laughs> full of adrenaline. You just had a, such an amazing time. Thinking, I've just spent seventy five pound on this, and how have they how have they done this? How have they made any profit? This is only on three nights a week or four nights a week, and you're just blown away. So then, yeah, you, you go in and you sit down and you watch Empire Strikes Back. Now, obviously, everyone knows every move, every transition, every sound effect. It, it was brilliant. But then, at key moments, the actors would come out. Um, and they'd be above you on the gantry, or, or they'd recreate, they'd mine the, the the main moments. So the you know the I love you, I know, um, the the jewels, the fights, all sorts of stuff on hoth. So it wasn't over the top, it wasn't overly done, um, but it was just really, really cool. What was your favourite bit?
3: I think when they had Luke and Darth, I mean, I mean, you have to remember that again. This is a massive factory, and in the rafters, this factory, I mean, it it looked miles away. But they had um, Luke and Darth doing the whole, you know, chopping off the hand, the the saber falling to the ground, all that sort of stuff, and you know, reenacting that when it was going on live was brilliant. I mean, it looked like you were you were watching it in in that you know, Cloud City. You were kind of watching it out one of those little windows in that in that big sort of wind chamber sort of thing. And watching it on live with the film was like, wow, they've really got their, their timing was superb. I mean, I don't know, but I mean, I went about sort of midway through the run, so I would imagine they were pretty tight. But uh, that was just brilliant to watch. But I mean, I was I was hoping to some hoth stuff, but I guess it wasn't going to happen because of you know, <laughs> had to create a, a hoth area. But just to see all these actors really go for it. I mean, that that must be quite dangerous as well. I mean, they were right up there, and uh, the, the Luke actor was hanging on he was hanging on whilst his getting his hand chopped off. It was brilliant. Just brilliant. I mean, I can't say how good it was. Um, yeah. I mean, if people filmed it, like I said, it, it would have ruined it. But because you, you had to watch it and you were there, it probably makes it better.
0: We are so lucky to have that in the UK. And then coupled Madame Two Swords and that experience, absolutely brilliant. Thank you for choosing London to do that. It, it's just been brilliant. I'm so glad I went to watch it
15: building this experience um, has taken close to six months with over 400 people working on it um it is by far the biggest thing we've ever done and we just got so taken away by the nostalgia by the emotion that you feel for this film this is a film i saw when i was eight with my dad and the concept that you know this is a film that inspired millions of creatives it changed hollywood forever and to take this film on and be able to create an experience in which we hope the audience become the characters that they dreamt of becoming.
1: So, events across the UK leading up to The Force Awakens in mid December. Uh, we have three events over the weekend of the 31st of October to the 1st of November. You've got Belfast Film and Comic Con at the Odyssey Arena in Belfast. You've got Wintercon at the Winter Gardens in Eastbourne. And the Mall Blackburn Sci Fi Weekend, which of course is at the Mall Blackburn. Moving on to the weekend of the 7th and 8th, you've got Film and Comic-Con Brighton at the Hilton Brighton Metropole Hotel, where some of the podcast team may well be, so be sure to come and check us out and chat to us. Weekend of the 14th and 15th, Thought Bubble at Leeds Dock, and just on Sunday the 15th of November, Bolton Comic-Con at the Holiday Inn, High Bridge Street. Weekend of the 21st and 22nd of November, two more events. You've got MCM Birmingham Comic-Con at the NEC... And in Newcastle, Newcastle Film and Comic Con at the Metro Radio Arena. Into December then, on the 5th, we have Wigan Comic Con at Robin Park Arena. And then on to the biggies, 12th, 13th of December, Farvest from at Fordham Bridge. And then just days later, The Force Awakens. 17th of December, one minute past midnight, you can now book your cinema tickets. We will see you there. To check out any of these events, just Google the titles of them and all the details are at hand. We hope to see you at a few of these events.
3: The Vintage Rebellion podcast is proud to be sponsored by Vectis Auctions Limited, collectible toy specialists. You can find them online and see forthcoming or past auction results at www.vectis.co.uk. If you have a collection you may want to get valued for sale, then you can give them a ring on 01642 750616 or email them at admin, A-D-M-I-N, at vectis.co.uk. They have two sites for drop-in visits for collections in Thornaby, Stockton-on-Tees, and their postcode is TS179JZ. And they also have a site in Whitney, Oxfordshire, and that postcode is OX281UB. If you are contacting the Oxford office, please use the phone number... 01993 And now the Market Watch.
14: This chain was meant to enslave her. In the movie, in Return of the Jedi, she took this chain and she strangled Jabba the Hutt with it. She stood up to her captor. And you know, I think that that is a very good message to young women.
3: There was a Hollywood auction, 74, as it's called, by a company called Profiles on History, and that happened on the 1st of October. Now, there was a couple of pieces on here which have kind of rocked the Star Wars world. The first one was the Slave Lear costume for $80,000. $80,000. Now, Jez, you're probably the only one who could actually fit into this costume if you uh, you had it. If you had spent that much money, would you put it on yourself or a female lady friend of yours. I was going to say, do you reckon he'll let me borrow it? <laughs> wow.
0: I'd I get a really good mannequin. I know that's really boring, but I'd just get a really, really cool mannequin from a store.
3: You wouldn't just put the bra bit on, though? No? Um, well, you know, um, you know. I know Stuart would definitely put it on because, you know, he does just like to, uh, dally in the, uh, the feminine side of the Force. Let's say I, I had won that auction. and uh, I would wear
1: it for you, Pete, yes. yes? Um, my mother-in-law actually has a photo of me wearing my wife's bra, <laughs> which I think she, um, she returns to quite often.
3: Now, I, I think that as a costume, I mean, if you see that costume, you automatically know where it's from. Now, is there any other science fiction film where a female... Um, costume is that iconic? Can you think of anything? I can think of a couple, maybe. Just go around the table quickly. Rich, <laughs> Rich, is there anything out there which you think is as iconic for a female costume in science fiction than that costume? Well,
2: I've got three. Go on, go on. I knew you'd have some. We've got um, Maria the Robot from Metropolis, which is probably the first oh, sci-fi film. good. Barbarella. Oh, I had that one. And probably the... Gravity-defying Judy Robinson from Lost in Spears.
3: Now, I knew someone was going to say Barbarella, right? I knew it. So Because everyone always says, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what the costume was. Can you, ex- can you describe it very quickly?
1: Jumpsuit, all in one. Mm. Which she unzips out of and gets naked.
3: There's actually several costumes in the film.
1: What about Sigourney Weaver's um, vest from the Alien film? I think that's quite iconic.
3: I would argue on that one that it's just a vest, but I'd say the big yellow... So hydronic machine she wears to tackle the alien. I'd say that was more what's, of a costume.
1: What's the um, film? Is it hundred million years BC or something? Where um, <laughs> with the like the um, woolly mammoth kind of across the chest. Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm not really That's count kind of... it as a as science fiction, but I, I, I you've do. You've got you've got you've got science fiction fantasy, and I would put it yeah. in the fantasy section. Yeah, yeah, I I'll, I'll give you that one. Come on, Jez, give us give us some iconic costumes from females. Can you think of any of them? Princess Leia, Ghana. <laughs> the white costume, absolutely. Yeah. Wow, it, that yeah. has got to be in the top three.
0: You know the um, blue chick in Avatar?
3: Indeed, the Smurf, yes.
0: Is it just me or is she smoking hot?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I always had a thing for Smurfette when I was young, so it's kind of like just an adult <laughs> version of that. I
0: time. don't know what it is about me and, you know, colours like that, but the the woman yeah. from Avatar, I know she's an alien and everything, and she'd probably want to do some strange thing to me with her long hair plait thing. It's How family I mean? show, Jez. family show. Like when you're going up an escalator in London and you see those posters advertising theatre shows and you see the the green witch in Wicked who's got that hat just tucked over her eyes and she's just putting her finger to her mouth and just going, shh. I don't know. I think think Jez has
3: taken to a a new tangent.
1: Um, I think he's right. Marge Simpson always did it for me as well, (laughs) being yellow. Yeah, well, that's
0: just a bit crazy, man. You're talking weird.
2: Uh, Well, I I can't think of any more, but um, I'm just—it's just interesting that, that so much money has been spent on this. Um, considering they never actually appeared in the film,
3: you actually read the description, there's a lot of pieces as well that, that were used, kind of in production and for fitting and stuff as well. Because obviously, Carrie Fisher lost lots of weight, and uh, another costume was used.
15: There is an opening special effects shot which most audiences applaud. It's almost the first shot of the picture, and that's very, uh, very nice to see. Mm. You know that you have that you have the audience from that point on.
3: Which leads us nicely onto iconic images in film to the real big headliner at the same auction, and um, this was the Blockade Runner model, uh, and that went for $375,000, which takes it above the TIE Fighter, uh, which in 2011 went for 350000 So if you add on the 28% uh, buyer's fees on that, it takes it to around about, well, over $450,000, which... I mean I was doing a little little bit of fun research and you could actually buy in Newcastle five houses in certain areas of the city <laughs> that is quite a lot of houses for what is basically a 16 inch miniature model this has got to be the the opening scene that anyone can recall now Jez would you want to have five houses in Newcastle or a 16 inch miniature version of the most iconic scene in cinema history I
0: love Newcastle <laughs> Newcastle five, is a fantastic night out. I, I really do. However, I wouldn't know what to do with five houses. What? So I, I, I'll take the blockade runner. But I love Newcastle.
3: You could fill five houses full of Star Wars things. It could be five <laughs> collecting areas.
0: That is true. <laughs> but I wouldn't be able to view them all at the same time.
3: But this, this, um, this miniature actually, it actually lights up. The, the little engines at the back do actually light up. Apparently one has gone has gone wrong, it no longer does, but they do actually light up. There is actually something that happens on this ship. It's not just the model that will sit there. You can sit there and you can recreate that scene. So um Rich, five houses in Newcastle? Which is just at the road from you?
2: I, I could probably get more than five. I think you could probably <laughs> you're probably looking to close at twelve actually um, depending on what area at are. um i mean it's you're right it's the first ship i mean in, in, when you think of that scene going over it everyone was like wow what an amazing ship and then you saw the lights behind it and you're going what's going on here and then the, the mother of all ships arrives um and from memory was the blockade runner actually bigger than the star destroyer they used
3: i don't know if it's bigger than uh 16 inches then i'm sure the it was so.
2: I'm but, sure the blockade run was bigger than the Star Destroyer, but um, no, y- you're right. What an iconic thing! Very, very few people can drop that sort of money on on um, a, pro- a movie prop. Because
3: it actually started at two hundred thousand. Um, that w- that was the opening bid, and I was actually yeah, watching was it. <laughs> I was actually watching it, and it, I think this 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 could go ridiculous. I mean, it's also interesting that, considering how iconic it was and it still is, um, there was very little toy wise for it. Um, can anyone? Buzz in and give me the uh, the well the one and a half toy versions that were actually mm. produced. Oh, go on. And um, inside the diecast, um, that, that is true. Star Destroyer. There was also another one, and I did actually say produced rather than manufactured. Anyone? Oh, very poor. There was actually a uh, prototype made. Um, I found this on Star Wars Archive. They did it, I think it was about 1983, so I was going to release it on the Return of the Jedi line. And uh, there's a really nice picture of it. And it's quite, sort of, obviously completely out of scale. And it's got a, a little opening cockpit at the front. Uh, there's a skate pod as well, which had r 2 d and c in it. Uh, there's a movable radar dish. And there's a little little Luke Skywalker pop on his head out the top. Um, there was also, obviously, the escape pod featured in, uh, I think it was the Land of the Jawas set. And, Jez, you mentioned a rather obscure uh, X-Wing fighter you got earlier on. Now, what, yes. what, what set was that from? A little tiny figurine?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I got myself... It was a rubber, actually. Yeah. So it was the uh, Maruka Kishigomu rubber.
3: Indeed. And I got the... Sorry? Indeed. Because um, in, in, in that same set, which is like a bag... Um, also came another escape pod, and that is pretty much, as far as I could find, all the vintage versions of things that are surrounding the blockade runner. There was very little produced, which I have no idea why. I'm assuming it was just, maybe it wasn't a particularly popular ship. I was thinking maybe there mu- might be a reason for it. Other parts of the auction, there were some amazing pieces, as you can imagine. There was also R2-D2's Eye, <laughs> which went for $6,500. Um, and if you th- think about what R T D looks like, it's uh, in the blue surround. It's a little black eye in that that top piece, um, which is quite remarkable. There was also a camera dolly from the original Star Wars film, which was six thousand. There was the actual camera, went for sixty thousand. Uh, there were some beautiful costume sketches from John Mollo, uh, went for one thousand seven hundred. Um, there were th- several items that didn't sell, and I don't know whether they were just ridiculously overpriced, but there was a Darth Vader helmet and a stormtrooper helmet. Neither had a sniff. Now, there was also a Rebel Blockade Soldier helmet. Now, this went this well, was up for $150,000. I mean, guys, you have any idea why it was up for so much? It didn't sell, by the way. It didn't get any, any interest at all. But, I mean, why is that helmet better than the rest, Jazz? Come on. Typo. <laughs> Apparently not.
0: I think they must have put their decimal place in the wrong place there, because when you looked at some of the estimates and then what they actually sold for on the edge, you know, five, ten times the amount they went for. But at the end, that is it, it's iconic to us, but it's not one of those things where everyone in the world would just say, wow, that's that's that Slave Lear costume. That's that blockade runner. Um, yeah, I've got no idea why that was 150.
3: Again, that is, something, that is a question to, to put out there to the audience if nobody knows why I mean maybe someone just thought oh it's Star Wars let's stick at a monstrous price but and again it is it is part of the, 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 the blockade runner um, set as well so maybe because it was an opening scene Rich got any idea I think
2: I might know the answer to this one actually oh. something on the back of my mind um, weren't most of those helmets reused in Empire or Jedi so therefore the original ones were lost and this might be one of the very few that was left untouched
3: oh. It's just I just thought that that considering what some of the helmets have been going for, you know, the proper props in the film, and um, that to be you know several times over. I mean, you could have got a nice Darth Vader helmet, one of the sort of like unused props from the film for thirty thousand, but that didn't even sell. But that yeah, this was a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you know, a hundred grand in British money—that's a lot of money. There's a few the little little items worth mentioning. There was um, a C-3PO Oscar presented to Brian Johnson by L.M. Uh, for his work on *Empire Strikes Back*, it's about 13 inches tall. Uh, signed by loads of the crew members and stuff, and it's a rather interesting piece. But that fetched $15,000. And there was a lot of posters in this auction, uh, mostly sort of Japanese posters. But it's a really, really nice poster. I, th- I think we might have covered it before and it's in some the earlier podcast. It was a, it's of a, a birthday cake um, with all the vintage figures kind of around it, celebrating. It was basically a New Hope first year anniversary poster. It's a really, really nice poster. Yeah,
0: mate. I, I don't know if this was mentioned before in that poster, but I was checking it out. I was looking at it. And, and what's missing? Anyone think?
3: There's no Jawa.
0: There's no Jawa? Yeah. Yeah, so you've got your pinhead hand. And for the eagle-eyed amongst you, what else is missing? Mm. There has to be some significance about this. So is the Jawa, were they going from the vinyl cape to the cloth? You know, it was all quite early stuff, just one year. So there's no Jawa. The other, the other 11 are there. But what else is missing? Anyone? Leah's Weapon. Yeah, Leah's Weapon. That's the decision. They've made a decision there somehow. They, they've said, right, and I don't know if it's something to do with the time. Now, I, I, you know, when I was listening to, in fact, I was watching the Kivecast live podcast recording in Anaheim, and they were talking about... The Hildebrand picture and they were talking about how they you know it had been changed and she was gonna have a weapon she wasn't gonna have a weapon and all that sort of stuff because it was about you know the time whether or not they they wanted to sort of you know militarize her uh, with regards to a weapon but they made a decision when they put that poster together for some reason the jaw wasn't there but they've all they're all holding their weapons being you know, gaffy sticks or, or imperial blasters or what have you lightsabers coming out of their arm Leah's not holding a weapon. I just thought that was mm. kind of interesting um, about the time, really. It definitely tells you something about the, the mindset.
3: Do you know the question I was going to ask you guys about oh. that poster? What type of cake was it?
1: <laughs> I think it's a sponge.
3: Do you reckon? A bit mm. of jam. Oh, nice. A dish
1: back in those days.
3: A nice sponge cake. I wonder if we ever find that out.
1: Well, I've just told you, so you don't need to, do you?
3: And now, the top five priced figure-related items from StarWarsTracker.com.
10: At number five this month, he's been kicking the core of the cantina because they haven't got his favorite milkshake. It's a loose blue snuggle tooth with debt, fetching $570. He was out getting power converters, but he's straight in at number four. It's a vintage 1977 Minton card Star Wars Luke Skywalker 12 pack for 1282 US dollars. Number three he'll make you stand to attention just because of the way he looks and his cute little hands. It's a Palatoid Empire Strikes Back 30 back Imperial Commando, bringing in 1,169 American Greenbacks. The two, narrowly messing out on the top spot, this 8080 driver is full of Easter promise. It's an Uzay 30 a back Return of the Jedi Carter figure, which sold for 3,800 United States Dollars. And in at number one, he's bottom of most pits, but he's top of this hit list It's a Canadian Boba Fett Empire Strikes Back 21 pack AFA 80 for 4338 bucks. See you guys next time on the StarWarsTracker.com Top 5 Little
7: Ewoks An entire
12: Empire brought to its knees by small
3: furry creatures. Okay, prop store. We covered it last month. Uh, there was most most things kind of hit their their estimate, which is a bit surprising. Nothing really went for crazy money. Again, the Stormtrooper helmet. So the Empire Strikes Back Stormtrooper helmet went for sixty five thousand pounds, which is about hundred thousand dollars. So, just went to show how you know sort of overpriced the other helmet is, considering that was actually from the film itself. Uh production budget we covered last month, that went for in its estimate for six hundred pounds. There was an Alec Guinness autograph, um still, so it's just a, a, a photograph. And that went for four hundred and fifty pounds. And that um went over the top of a Harrison Ford similar kind of autograph for three hundred and twenty five, so <clears throat> that's the kind of price you'll be paying for those sort of things. Uh there was a nice Christmas card lot which was set at um around about eighty quid for a um its estimate. And That went for five hundred pounds just just those uh, vintage Christmas cards which is quite quite incredible but the kind of the big one um, was the ewok head um which I thought grant might have a go at sadly but he didn't but um that was initially estimated at two thousand pounds and went for thirteen grand now what on earth are you gonna do with an ewok head stew <laughs>
1: um <laughs> i would um I would put it in a room which wasn't too hot, maybe had air conditioning. Um.
3: That's very poor.
1: <laughs> I'm full of them. <laughs> um. <laughs> just, just stroke it, really, instead of a cat. I'm going to feed it
3: because it, it did look quite. It still looked quite fluffy, so it, it did look quite cute. Jez, you know, maybe you could run uh, one of your little marathons in a, an Ewok head. Peter, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah man that was um, yeah.
0: So someone really really
3: wanted that little furry thing in their hand 13 just the head 13 grand <laughs> 13,000 pounds
2: I wonder what somebody would pay for stew then if we hollowed him out it'd probably be worth oh, it
3: that's not, want to hollow but, me out well why not you could put things They'd in you be running around the
2: house surely that's
3: better fun <laughs> mm. you could put star wars figures in you you could use your display cabinet yeah it could be a carry case yeah. don't lock it stew. tried it
2: you could use your intestines as a handle <laughs> split be- split bloody stew a bit like
0: uh, split belly tauntaun. I'm just not going to put any reins on him though it's going a bit too far now kinky a
3: that is, that is kinky right is wrong. it is right from those, so those two auctions then we have I mean there was a lot of Death Star model parts as well um, something went for silly money I think one part uh, which is a bit more of the actual kind of floor or the the outer of the Death Star with a few of the turrets on that, and ended up going for thirty-two thousand dollars. But I think all in all, um, Star Wars items uh, went for over. For those two auctions went for over a million dollars, which is you know quite something, and not a single action figure between them.
7: George, the fact that you made me into a little doll that my first husband could stick pins into, <clears throat> a shampoo bottle where people could twist my head off and pour liquid out of my neck. Lather up with Leia and you'll feel like a princess yourself. (laughs) And yes, the little Pez dispenser so that my daughter Billy could pull my head back and pull a wafer out of my neck every time she doesn't want to do her homework. I suppose I don't mind. And though amongst your many possessions you have owned my likeness low all these years so that... Every time I look in the mirror, I have to send you a cheque for a couple of bucks.
3: Right, Aston's had an auction this month. There was a few loose figures and a few carded figures, nothing spectacular, but there was actually a Kellerman book up, and I haven't seen one of these up on auction, any, any of the auctions recently. And it's went for 140 quid. It, wasn't, it didn't look pristine condition, but it looked decent. What's the usual price, though, then, Rich?
2: Close out of two hundred pound, I think. Whoever sold this uh, will be disappointed.
3: Yeah. Wait, there. Wait, you say
1: that? I've been watching a couple of these recently because some of these have gone up to about three, three fifty on eBay about a year
3: ago. Is that but mint? Is that mint or? I have or... watched.
1: I've watched three in the last three four weeks, and they've both two of them went for about one sixty, and one went for about one fifty. So I think the price has dropped slightly on these.
2: Yep, yeah. and it's probably dropped because. We're finally starting to see the light for issue two being released. Yeah, people I'm
0: have been saying that for
1: years.
2: Haven't yeah, they? I don't yeah. know whether it is. I think it's all hearsay. Uh, I think there's been some movement recently to suggest that it's a bit more than that now.
3: Did they ever consider a digital version, Rich?
2: I don't think so. Because
3: I mean, I, I actually wrote to the, uh, the people who were doing it and uh, suggested that they put in my <laughs> send them a picture of my one-off Princess Leia clipper card back. Mm-hmm. But I didn't hear it back from them, which is a bit of a shame. But I said, look, I can take a picture of it. It's something I'm sure that's not in there. I don't know, it's all a bit quiet. And, it's, and it is disappointing because I would love to look at one. So I was almost tempted by this auction, to be fair. I was I was a bit hesitant. I thought, that's actually not that bad a price. Obviously, if you add you've got to add 20%, 20% on top of that as well, which takes it over the kind of normal price. But still, it was, in considerable terms, it was a reasonable bargain. Not to mention... You
7: had the unmitigated gall to let that chick, the new girl who plays my mother, Queen Amadillo, or whatever her name is, she wears a new hairstyle and outfit practically every time she walks through a door. I mean, I bet she even got to wear a bra, even though you told me I couldn't, because there was no underwear in space.
1: Now I want to welcome back Stefan Falkor for this month's Rapid Fire. Are you ready, Stefan? Yeah. Your favourite Star Wars movie? Uh, I would say
6: Empire Strikes Back. Your favourite Star Wars scene? Wow, that's a tricky one. I guess if I had to pick up one scene, it, was, it, it should be uh, from Empire Strikes Back as well. Your favourite on-screen character?
1: Uh, I would say uh, Solo,
6: Solo or, or Chewie. Your favourite part of the prequels? The, the, the scene on Camino with Jango Fett and also Obi-Wan, when he comes down to check on the clones. Are you optimistic
1: or pessimistic about The Force Awakens?
6: Uh, I would say optimistic.
1: And which on-screen character would you most like to see a standalone movie of?
6: I guess any character can be interesting, you know,
1: if, if the plot is good. So. Of course, maybe not Jar Jar Binks, but... Uh... What is your favourite lightsaber, Joel? I would say the one from Return of the Jedi, with a vader and look. What was your favourite figure as a child? Uh, I think it was Chewbacca. And what is your favourite figure now? I would still say Chewbacca, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which character do you wish they'd made a figure of? I would have loved to, uh, to have uh, a Leia Slave. What is your favourite playset or vehicle? Uh,
6: so, definitely the, um, the Cambo Death Star. And uh, your favourite Ewok toy? If I would pick up, if I would pick up a figure, uh, of course I would say Wicket, because he's probably a, a major character in Return of the Jedi. What was the last vintage Star Wars toy you purchased? The the Ribbon Commando and the uh, and the Empire or Royal Guard.
1: And what is your favourite photo artwork on a card back? Looking
6: back then, maybe Yoda would be
1: one of would be one of my favourites. Outside of Meccano and Tri Logo, what is your favourite foreign Star Wars toy license? The Kenner Empire Strikes Back line. And finally, what is your Holy Grail item?
6: Yeah, yeah, I would say I would say it could be the um, the, the Empire Strikes Back square card, Boba Fett.
1: Right, now on to our rapid fire question for the month and this month I've chosen the following lads which of the four cantina alien figures is your favourite and your worst and let's start with Grant.
5: Uh, Greedo's favourite Warus Man the worst Hammerhead is pretty good mine fair enough I'm
1: straight for the point Jez yeah Greedo
0: absolutely love Greedo and Snaggletooth's probably my worst
3: Petey? Ooh, I love Warus Man probably Snaggletooth is probably the one I don't really have much affection for Rich? I think probably Hammerhead's my favourite, because he's most unusual.
2: The worst, an alien that was in the cantina, chill
1: I meant out of the four cantina alien kind of toys. <laughs> Come on, Rich. Gotta be different. Snaggletooth. Right, I have to say Greedo the best. I loved Snaggletooth as a child. Um, I love all four of them, actually, but I would probably say war as man Now, Rich, do we have much feedback for Episode 17?
2: We certainly do, Stu. We had quite an explosion of feedback, so... I'm just going to call it up now, okay? Um I'm going to start off with a bit on the £10 mint on card that we talked about um last episode. And Jamie Buzzy Buzzy Toys got in contact with us and he said there was a bit of a backstory to that in that a guy arrived at Father's Farm with lots and lots of carded figures in a bag and he approached Jamie and said, would you like to buy them? But Jamie was quite hectic with these um selling that was going on so he asked um, Mark Hockley from Star Wars, to go through them and sort out a deal. So Mark did that, and a guy sold Jamie the mock for £10, and it was it was the last one that was left. So Jamie put on his pile to take home. So Clark's Pie and Chips from the forum had spotted this mock on top of Jamie's pile and said, you know, how much do you want for this? And Jamie was kind of, uh, you know, I, I bought it for me, I'm not really you know interested in selling it. But he'd had such a good day, he just said, look, mate, I paid a tenner for it, take it for a tenner. Um, because Jamie, you know, he didn't want to flip it. He just didn't, didn't think it was right because of the whole positive vibe that was going on as far as from. So, so well done Jamie, you know, well, well done for that because many people would have, you know, flipped it straight back for perhaps 20 quid or even more for that. So brilliant. Lots of positive feedback in Star Wars Forum. It's great to see that we're picking up new listeners each month. And and this is from guys who we talk to quite regularly and they still haven't checked out our podcast. So so what a treat you're missing. It's great reading stuff like um I expected this to be another shoddy amateur podcast, but the quality was so slick and professional. So so thanks guys. Keep your comments coming. Um Lauren Style's giving us our new buzzword. Infotainment. That's okay, we'll Yep, we're going to use that infotainment word quite a lot when Stu remembers, probably twice a year. It's also good that people have picked up on the fact that we really do enjoy our guests on the show. And we've all said it's the guests that make the show... Um, and every one of the guests from last month's show received lot of positive feedback and the way that they got positive PMs to them directly as well, which is great. The podcast is about our guests, it's about Star Wars, and it's not about us and our egos, so it's great to see people appreciating that. Moving on to take, we've got some great feedback that the guys that have taken the vast, you know, to keep them updated on how things are going. The obviously loved the John Paul interview, which is what we expected, but they've also added some more information, such as what i got from Paul Ford with regards to um, French Wednesday film releases. And he told me it's not so much of a rule, it's much of a tradition about films being released on a Wednesday. And that was because before the 1970s, it used to be on a Thursday because children were off school on the Thursday. So the children could go and see a film on the Thursday before it got hectic at the weekend. But at the beginning of the 70s, the French calendar changed; that children were off school on a Wednesday, so then the cinemas reacted, obviously, by changing their release dates to a Wednesday, so all the kids could go watch the film on a Wednesday, and then the adults could go on the weekend. And you also said it gave the cinema owners a rough idea of a film's popularity, so they could figure out, you know, what audience number to expect, and um, should we, what size room should we put it on, etc. And um, so that was great. Quite a few guys have given us ideas for 80s themed um, TV adverts, which we'll have a look at. Um, And it's really surprising how often the adverts get commented on, considering they're only 30 seconds or a minute long. We've got comments from some of the developers who are interested in coming on and doing one of the big interviews, and we're not going to book any of them in yet because we've made the mistake of reaching out too far too fast. So we'll probably wait until the new year before we we book in some of the, the big guests for that. Jared Cole from the Star Wars track PM'd Pete and said that he loved the Top of the Pops themed market section, thought it was a great idea and a good addition, and he was pleased that Pete picked up on the um, Power of the Force Anakin. To wrap up my part, feedback on the vehicle maintenance energizer, which was the community appeal that we put out last month. Um, It looks as though that we've actually completed this VMA already, definitely reunited the body with all of the tooling. So, great stuff, lads, and and Jimbo, once you've received anything, um, put a photo up there so we can all have a look at it. Jez, I believe you might have had some feedback on the E-Wing Swap Shop.
0: Well, first of all, yeah, the vehicle maintenance energizer, I was delighted with that, but Jimbo's actually come back and told me that he's put together now this charity sort of, you know, crowdfunded thing, and and the next charity competition which I run on the forum, which, you know, we've been doing now for a couple of years, he's going to donate that which is awesome because you know this, is, this has been put together by the community and now he's got it complete. He wants to put it back in there. So that's just going to be one of the very small prizes which we've got in our next charity, I uh, think, whatever that is. Uh, but with regards to the A-Wings, yeah, I've definitely got some feedback for the swap shop. How cool was that? He said that one sold to a friend that he owed a favor to and the other one's on hold for another collector that's trying to come up with something to trade for him. So both are technically sold uh, and spoken for. So there we go. I think our swap shop
1: is uh, more successful than Noel Edmonds' swap shop. How cool's that? Right. Excellent feedback once again. And we really do appreciate every little drop of feedback we can receive. So whether you want to comment on a recent show, follow up on something we've discussed or just be involved in a future show, please get in touch. You can email us at show at uk. Find us on Facebook by searching the Vintage Rebellion or follow us on Twitter at SWTVR Podcast. I'm aware the Twitter account has been slow of late, but we will be making sure it's lively and active as of now. Of course, you can also leave us feedback on any of our social media outlets, and of course, that includes the forums. Don't forget, if you want to catch up or re-listen to any of our shows, they are all still available on iTunes, or find them directly at swtvrpodcast.podbean.com. So big thanks to Stefan Fourcourt Gus Lopez, Gus Lopez, Malcolm Tween and for taking their time to speak with us about the various topics heard throughout the show. As always, it is the guests that really make the show. So, until November, when we will only be a month away from The Force Awakens, it is goodbye from Rich. Later, guys. Goodbye from Grant.
5: Thank you for listening.
1: Goodbye from Jezebel. Cheers, guys. And it's goodbye from PD Weedy. Send me free things. <laughs> and until next time, it's good night from me. And remember,
10: only you can decide with Star Wars toys.
2: This podcast is not endorsed by Disney, Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox or anybody who cares about the Star Wars franchise. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. All names and sounds of Star Wars are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited and other associated copyright holders. All of the original content of this podcast are the intellectual copyrights of the Vintage Rebellion. If you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to email swtvrpodcast at gmail.com. If you don't enjoy this podcast, tough.
1: Are Star Wars products going to have the durability of,
15: say, that old favourite, the teddy bear? Just
4: let it in.